Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 252. Hey, there's a, there's a 52 in there. Let's say it's a DC Comics, baby. This is a DC Comics podcast. I'm Peter. Uh, unfortunately, Matt is not here this week, which does unfortunately mean that we're all saddled with the presence of Connor. Firing all cylinders, me. <laughs> Why are you firing all cylinders? I just am. Um, just go with it. What's the difference between you when you're not firing any cylinders and firing all cylinders? A very good question. Is there a noticeable difference? Can I discern what what the the extreme ends are? <laughs> if if there's no difference, I think that really says a lot about my baseline performance being really solid. Or it says a lot about how low your top of the line performance is. That's on who you ask. Yeah, because if we're talking about movies, you know, I I would say you know a ten is like. Aliens, and then a one is uh, Last Jedi, maybe, and you know you've got that range in between, and you can sort of see what it is, and you can. Well, I suppose you could have picked an actual one. I know you don't think that movie's a one. Nah, it's like a five, but uh, points for effort. Points for effort. I'm sure mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson's happy with my <laughs> giving him points for effort. <laughs> Hi, Dave. I'm sure he was just craving your your. Uh, your critique there. Knives Out was pretty solid. So, I mean, you know what? That was the first movie that he's made that I actually kind of liked. So, uh, fair play to him. Uh, but, okay, actual one out of ten. Batman v Superman. There you go. Uh, that's the accurate. Yeah, I love that one. Actually, I give that like a two and a half, but that's, that's the point. You've so, been being generous. So, yeah, the DC Comics podcast. We get together every week and we... We discussed the books we read. We're actually recording... Usually we record this on a Saturday, occasionally a Friday if, you know, things work out that way. Uh, we're recording this as early as Thursday this week, which is really weird. Uh, and the only reason why I'm telling you this is because when we get to the Comixology Top 10 in a minute, I do want to put out that disclaimer that this is a very different time of the week <laughs> Yeah, said discussion. It, it has actually meant that, that, that there's at least one book I planned to read that I didn't get to. Because, for context, yesterday, Wednesday, was my first day off since last week's comics came out. So I had to read quite a lot to, to be, you know, and, and I just didn't get around to everything. We're too early in the week. Yeah, so here, here we are. Uh, so what's coming up on this week's show, you may ask. We have Batman 108, Green Lantern issue 2, The Swamp Thing issue 3, Man Bat issue 4, Bat- next, sorry, next Batman, Second Son, issue two. That's the second physical issue, which is chapters four through six digitally. Uh, and then we have a couple of Patreon books. Connor's catching up by doing Harley Quinn, issue one, um, which someone's making him read. It is delightful. And I am uh, doing Animal Man, issue eight. I'm back to Animal Man this week. So uh, that's what's coming up on the show. Not a lot of news. Uh, obviously, it's not been a full week since we recorded the last episode. So keep that in mind. So if something huge drops on Friday, you're thinking, why aren't they talking about this huge DC news from Friday, uh, you know, this weekend? It's because we recorded it before <laughs> before that happened. Uh, schedules being what they are. So uh, that's what's coming up on the on the show. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll just get straight to the top 10 then. It's actually going to be a kind of a similar story to the last top 10 in that uh, a current Star Wars trade sale is ruining uh, the, the numbers here. But oh, I love it. We can extrapolate from that just looking at the single issues, the new single issues and where they stand. Which which Star Wars trade is at the top? Well, I think the first couple... Are these first couple trades? I think they are. The Thorn, Thorn trilogy? Yep. Yeah, that's a... 
It's a very cheap trade, but it's just it's there. It's seventy nine p. It's an adaptation of the uh, the original Throne Trilogy books. Uh, pretty assu- solid way of uh, enjoying that story. I assume uh, that's a dollar then. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The U.S. Basically, in because it's because Marvel have all the rights to the Dark Horse printings of stuff still. So even though they're reprinting most of it in their own epic collection format. These are all the Dark Horse omnibus formats that they're putting out, and anything that was volume one is a dollar, and I think everything else was two dollars. Okay. Um, absolute steal for some of them. It explains why it's uh, infecting so much of the rankings. It was worse last week, um, but so looking at the actual things, it is worth mentioning, though, that despite that, number one is still a new single issue, and it is a DC Comics single issue from this week. So... Uh, probably wouldn't take it's it's probably batman let's be honest it is, it is batman yes batman as away. much as i'd like it to be swamp thing it, it's batman but, yeah, but batman does well it's uh 108 um or sorry it is number 108 and it is at number one um so next single issue on the list so number two effectively here is actually something that also make you happy it is die issue 16 so the first issue of the final arc ah well that's a shame uh, I mean, you said it was always planned to be 20 issues because it's a 20-sided die. I kind of hate that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, oh, come on. You love it. Mar- Marauders, issue, Look at those rules. Marauders issue 20 is number three out of the single issues. Uh, and then we go to number four, which is Amazing Spider-Man 65. And then number five would be Hellions issue 11. Number six would then be Immortal Hulk, issue 46. Again, I'm skipping all the Star Wars trades that are here because there's a sale. <laughs> yeah. So that's number six. And then number seven... Oh, God, I need to go to page two for this. Uh, too many Star Wars trades. Too many Star Wars Invincible trades. And then number seven... Holy crap, this is this is almost a full page of Star Wars, the second... I'm page. telling you, it's a stupidly good sale. I suspect it's over now, Number uh, which is a shame. Number seven... Um, I think this is actually a new issue from Star Wars. Uh, Heroes Reborn issue one. That's not Star Wars. Heroes Reborn is what Marvel are doing their new. That's their new event. That's where they're. Her- Heroes Reborn is Marvel. Oh, you're right. Doing you're right. The universe thing for a couple of months. It looks like he's holding a lightsaber on the cover, and it's, it's in between a lot of the Star Wars. So I just, I just went with it. Uh, so that's number seven. Number eight is actually Infinite Frontier Secret Files issue two, the digital thing. So there you go. Uh, just, just to let you know though. There is a new Star Wars issue, and it's the start of an event. It's like a uh, bounty hunter wars, something like that. Um, so if you, you know, if you come across that and you're going, oh, that's just another Star Wars stuff. That is a new issue. I've probably passed it already, to be honest. So take that for what it is. And then number nine, by my count, would be Suicide Squad issue three. Uh, but you know, <laughs> that's something we've been super excited about. A uh, bunch more stuff, and then number ten would be um. Marvel book, which is the Union issue five. I don't know what is that, that is. Their, I think that's their British hero thing. Uh, you can tell I'm so super interested by this. Yeah, I'm not super up on that one. For the record, I have to get to page three on these uh, top sales to get to Green Lantern and Crime Syndicate and Swamp Thing. But again. These would probably be on page one, if not top of page two, maybe, if it wasn't for a shit ton of Star Wars trades that are all infected. I'm actually having a scan to see if I can see this Star Wars issue. Um, see if you did go past it. 
No one cares uh, though. No one. No, no, literally, no one cares. But they might. The integrity of your list. <laughs> Look, what's important is is beating regular Marvel stuff. The Star Wars stuff is separate. It's like a weird subcategory. It's like talking about. <laughs> is it though? It's like talking about PlayStation and Xbox and some asshole presents as you well, Nintendo's. Well, yeah, no, yeah, it's separate. No one cares. It's just, they're the third, they're the third one. The, the, the um, if, if it makes you feel any better, uh, the World of Bounty Hunters, you didn't go past it. It's it's relatively low down. It's at the bottom of page three by this oh, count. Really? I don't know what that translates to in the uh, the, the single issues, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's down there. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um. Admittedly, again, th- things are a little bit weirder because we're doing this at this time of the week rather than the usual Saturday, which is what I like about doing it is the consistency of checking at the same time every week. I have no idea if, you know, a lot of people buy their books like later than a Wednesday or Thursday, if that affects things, or if it's just a simple case of all these Star Wars books because the sale will end whenever it ends that they'll actually sort of like clear up a little bit by the weekend maybe, which is possible. Yeah. I don't know. Do so. you want some... Interesting sales figures. That I, I I am bringing sales figures to the to the show here. I know you loved it secretly all this time. I, I've got actual numbers for some stuff. I right, go on then. Give me some numbers. So this is from Tynan's newsletter. So this is just a couple of things about some of his books, but he might be the next sales juggernaut. You know how like you know, there's the odd indie book that just sells stupid, like you know, Walking Dead, right? Uh, yeah, the single issues of that always sold amazingly. Yeah. He, he might be onto something. His books are trending upwards, um, which doesn't usually happen. As a rule, books lose sales every issue till they plateau, and even then they still might go down, but it's so small, the increments that it goes down, that it's barely noticeable. But um, Department of Truth, between issues 8 and 9, has gone up by nearly 14,000. Which is a pretty big jump. But uh, what's more interesting is, is something is killing the children. Um, Pete, what would you say if, if I said to you, indie horror book, issue 16, uh, you know, what would you say well, you'd expect you know, a good sales for that? No. Good? I'd say, I'd say 20,000 would be good for that. Yeah, yeah. A good issue of Batman. What would you say that is? Oh, a good issue. I mean, that's over 100. That's like... 110, 120? I would say a comfortable issue of Batman's at around 100. It dipped below that towards the end of the Tom King era, but that was just kind of a, a gradual decline and over the, the years. And the anniversary big issues, they're about, you know, 140, 150? I would say close to 200, but once you factor in the variance and shit. Okay, but... okay fair enough. But you know, it's still, like, you know, that's the range of, like... I... If, if, if you're saying to me what's a good issue of Batman right now and I don't know because we've not had proper sales figures in like a year or whatever it's been I, I would say a good issue of Batman right now is probably at 140 okay 155 my guess wasn't bad <laughs> yeah your guess was, yeah, I mean but if I t- when I asked you for issue 16 of this indie horror book you said 20,000 Okay, I guess it's probably more off with that, but my Batman one was pretty spot on. Your Batman book was solid, but this this isn't Batman. <laughs> that's the point. This is just his other book that he's doing. Um, oh, wait, no, wait. This, is, this 150,000 is the horror book. Yeah, this is this is something that's killing the children. Is on 155. That's a graphic novel, though, is it not? No, no. This is issue 16. What was that one you mentioned? 
uh, Department of Truth. That's one of his other series that's going at the minute. I thought that's what we were, I that's what we were talking about. No, no, that one's gone up by like 14,000 between issues okay, 8 and okay, 9. Okay, okay, so... This is weird. Like This I, is astro- astronomically high. I can't imagine those old charts coming out and us seeing that even like you know approaching a hundred thousand never mind yeah like a hundred and fifty five thousand on issue 16 of a indie horror comic is basically unfathomable yeah i don't know what you say to that uh, <laughs> I, I do I, mean, I do wonder though like how many different sales avenues is he keeping track of here when the charts that we used to get were just purely from diamond these are just those these are just the direct market sales. Yeah, but direct market isn't just like there's, there's multiple avenues at this point for this to be. Uh, going it's, uh, I don't think it's counting any digital sales. Uh, well, that's not what that's not what I'm saying though. I'm saying that we only okay. ever just purely no, raw no, no, got no. diamonds figures. We that, now that, have multiple fair. distributors. We now have a lot of other things going on here. I'm just wondering if there's sales that were always not being accounted for before that we just didn't see because we only got Diamond's numbers that are factored into this, and that's why they seem so astronomically high I, I compared say, to normal. I will say it's fair that it is factoring in, I assume, again, I don't know for, for certain, but I assume it's factoring in uh, international distribution, which Diamond numbers never did. They were only the US numbers. Yeah. So it may be factoring in those. I don't know. But there are no other publishers, uh, no, no other distributors that are putting this book it's only through diamond this book uh and international so to speak yeah so there, there it's not like this is being put through you know there's not four different channels for this to draw i, I hate to doubt them because i want i want them to be successful and all that but i don't believe that this number is based entirely on the exact same metrics that those old charts were it's, because it's i just possible. i just i don't believe a book that i would have said would be lucky to be hitting 20 or even 30,000 would be like a dream for this book at issue 16. And well, things can do better than what I was expecting. I'm having a hard time believing it's selling more than every single DC and Marvel book based on the exact same metrics. I get what you're saying. Uh, The only thing that gives it some veracity, I would say, is that this was being reported on by, you know, places saying, you know, they're hearing these sales figures uh, these numbers are stupidly high and off the charts before this information went out from him. He was just confirming it in his newsletter, um, which makes me wonder that, okay, this, th- there are other people getting this information as well. Because what I want to know is how well does Batman, Spider-Man, and other books of that kind, how well are they doing... If they had, if we had access to the exact same sources of numbers for like the international sales and whatever else it may be that's factoring into this, like how much bigger is that compared to what we typically saw on a monthly sales chart when we were actually getting them? Um, I'm just I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I, I, I <laughs> the, the only thing I will give it benefit of the doubt is, um, some the, the first issue went to eight printings, eight. And even those issues were selling out and going on eBay for anything between thirty and fifty dollars. What's so weird is, other than like the usual smattering of you know a cult following on Twitter, I'm not hearing people talk about it. Like I've seen people recommend it and stuff, but no more than any other mildly successful image book or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm seeing um, for context the first issue of Walking Dead that um, 
kind of broke the the hundred thousand barrier was issue a hundred. Uh, so you know it's it is up there in the big leagues, assuming these numbers are legit. Um, and you know I'm I'm inclined to believe them right now, but they are crazy high. I think there's more to this. There's more to this than a one-to-one comparison with the numbers we used to get. And that's not to diminish this, because it's obviously still very successful. I'm not trying to downplay the success of yeah. anything that's happening here. Um, although it's now occurring to me, we've been sitting talking about an indie book for the last, like, ten minutes. Well, well, this is not DC. <laughs> it's not, but it was Tynan, and it was sales figures, and I thought that was super interesting that it was that high. Aye, off topic. Do, do you want something DC related from his newsletter? Go on, give me something DC related. Uh, he, he was talking a little bit about Nice House on the Lake because uh, I believe issue one uh, final cut off is in the next week or two. Um, and he was basically outright confirming that he has plans for seasons two and three uh, nailed down already, and he has ideas for season four, but it is entirely sales dependent on whether or not they will get greenlit by DC. Uh, he's been very frank. He's like, no, no, no it's, you know, that is why they're calling it season one. It is entirely down to whether or not it sells well enough to justify a second season. Um, but he did promise that it'll have a, a conclusion of its own uh, for, the, for season one, just in case anything happens. So uh, I think that's coming early June. So not, not too long till we can get our hands on that. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm looking forward to the book. Uh, so we shall we shall see, but uh, okay, okay. Um, if if if, if Don Kelly is legitimately just selling that many, this many issues in, and outselling just about every DC and Marvel book, then great. Like congratulations to him. I'm just skeptical because I don't know exactly how many numbers weren't being included before because this just feels so astronomically high compared to everything before. That's fair, yeah. That's especially since I'm not hearing like I mean I've heard buzz for it, but I've not heard that much where it's bigger than I don't know uh, anything that was a big it, success in the last decade. It recently got optioned for like a movie or a TV show, I think. Right, it, it so did. but tons of stuff does like it, no, no, it does. I wonder if that's driven some interest towards it. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what yeah, could have well, caused for it. example. I mean, for you know, like you know, Saga was way more talked about, and that never did these sorts of numbers no i so, didn't you know i i it's just i'm finding it's i'm skeptical about the comparison one-to-one now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not technically like i believe that it's probably sold 150,000 copies but i wonder if we have the same sources for all the numbers for mm-hmm. the other books that we used to get numbers for do they are they selling more than that is batman doing 250,000 a month uh or is this legitimately one-to-one this is selling above most of the main DC and Marvel books now. That's It'd be about, amazing if it is. That would be fascinating if it is, because nothing has done that as long as we had numbers. I don't remember everything outselling the DC and Marvel books that way. Yes, yeah, so you, you get an issue of Walking Dead popping out of the top 10 every month, but that that was kind of it. Yeah, and even the like the, the odd issue of Walking Dead where uh, like, like it could have been, like, that, like the final issue... Mm. They didn't give retailers enough warning that it was the final issue. Yeah, issue one hundred did very well because it was one hundred, so people knew that it was to be treated specially. But yeah, everything else, yeah, was just kind of like random, and all of a sudden, certain issues became collectors' items because oh, this is the issue where so and so died, or this is the issue when so and so first appeared, or the usual stuff. So, 
All right, let's get into let's get into the books because Resident Evil Eight's out after this podcast is finished recording. And, was that tonight? Is it? I thought it was tomorrow night. And as much as uh, I would like to sit and talk about comics for for the usual three hours or so, I mean, if this is a brisker episode, I I'm not going to complain about it. So, Batman issue one hundred eight, James Tynion the Fourth and Jorge Jimenez on the art. This is a uh, remember last issue Batman. Took the disguise of Match, uh, you know, a slightly more hip version of his Matches Malone, to infiltrate the uh, the group in Gotham, uh, the Unsane uh, Society. Is it Society? I think so. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember if that's the right you know term for the like the, the using the name, but um, yeah, and very quickly it becomes apparent that this new character, uh, Mighty Molly, if I remember her name right. Collective, Unsanity Collective. Unsanity Collective, there you go. I knew it was just a, it's just another word for group, but... Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, we have some of the things bubbling over. We have Nakano talking about masks, Barbara's reaction to this, uh, you know, Saint making his moves. That's kind of the, the B plot of the issue. But the main plot of the issue is Bruce undercover. But very quickly, these characters, uh, or at least Mighty Molly, is like... Eh, Miracle Molly. Miracle Molly. Is there a Mighty Molly? Am I making that up, or is it just because it sounds good? I think you're just making it up. Miracle Molly... I mean, we find out later on, she kind of just knew pretty quickly that this is Batman. Like, the, the, the voice isn't that much of a disguise. He's too comfortable. Uh, when, when she takes him on a, a drone flight through the sky, he's far too relaxed about being that high up and stuff. He's like, this is clearly Batman. But, uh, yeah, we get the, the subtle thing where he, he puts on the, the black scarf or whatever it is and it's very Zorro-esque and they kind of point that out mm. but ultimately this is about her showing him what this you know collective is what what, what is it doing what is its function and he's there because he wants information about who hired them to pull off this one job and she's kind of like, like just ask me your questions I'll be honest about it I'm not going to lie I don't care and it's like yeah like we were paid for that job and we decided that it didn't conflict with any of our ethics but ultimately, we do have ethics. We do have things we care about. This is about protecting the forgotten. Um, she talks about... Uh, I, I get the impression that she, like, her previous life, like, her mind is, like, wiped of it because she talks about watching the footage of, like, who she was, like, taking the, the treatment and, like, not recognizing that person. Uh, that she's a completely new person now. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, I, I, I read it more as... Not recognizing the way like, I can't believe I was ever like that sort of thing, um, but you, you could be right. I think the reason why I took it is more of a literal thing is because the panel where she talks about it, she's literally like getting jacked into a machine mm. uh, that is, you know, it looks like it's <laughs> you know very matrixy, got the big sciency kind of helmet and all that. Uh, it looks proper stuff, but well, I mean, I guess we'll get more of a uh, clarification on that as time goes on. I imagine. Oh, I'm sure we will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the exact line is, I watched the footage once of the moments before I was going to turn. The woman I watched in that video, she looked so sad, scared, and desperate. Um, So, yeah, it I could mean, go away. You might be right, yeah. But she's got, like, a science helmet on, so I, it, it looked like to me she was, uh, like, literally, like, being altered by this machine in some way. Um, But I do like when, when she calls him Batman, uh, the, the whole the shadow behind him making the bat ears trick. Um. You know, it's just yeah, one of those things. That was where a nice touch. It, it's not actually something that makes sense in 
the, the context of the scene, but I, I always forgive it because it's always a just a artistic it license. Cool. It's an artistic license yeah. choice. Uh, so sometimes when things look cool, you kind of let things slide. Yeah. So basically, whoever did this wanted the city to be afraid. And Batman's uh, looking for a name, and he gets it just as we get to the last page, which is uh, Simon Saint. Uh, and meanwhile, throughout the issue, Simon Saint is recruiting the uh, the guard from Arkham uh, to be magistrate number one. That's kind of, you know, we're getting to some of that meat of that stuff that's been teased in Future State. And kind of, you know, why why this guy agrees to this, why this Mahoney agrees to this is like, well, he did get an arm and a leg literally blown off. He's probably fairly desperate. And the idea that he's been offered these ultra-futuristic cybernetic limbs and a chance to feel important, a chance to feel powerful. And to... Kind of, you know, we, we know his dream was to be a cop, but he ended up just a guard at Arkham. Mm-hmm. And this will be kind of, oh no, he'll be the first, you know, Peacekeeper 1, he'll be the, the top cop. And he also blames Gordon as well, because Gordon was the one in charge when he was rejected, when his application did, to join uh, the force. And vendetta against his family, because of something his dad did. Yeah, his dad was a dirty cop in Gotham. I mean, I think most cops at the time were dirty. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, you know, Gordon remembered the name and maybe thought twice about it before... Uh, we would like to give Gordon the benefit of the doubt, right? And be like, no, he probably just didn't I think pass there's, the tests. I, I think there's every reason to give him the benefit of the doubt because all we're getting here is this this one person's view of it and memory of yep. it. And let's face it, he may be a little biased in his like, you know, interpretation of the events. Yeah, uh, it's the sort of thing where he's given himself a reason over the years so that oh, it wasn't my fault that I failed. It was, you know, it's like Gordon. Yeah. Uh, so the final page is as we hear this is, is Batman's been given the the, you know, the breadcrumb trail to Simon Saint. We see like the the process of turning uh, Mahoney into this, you know, well magistrate one, peacekeeper one, you know? peacekeeper one, yeah. Um, so r- really solid plot progression issue. It's like it's not as flashy as some of the other ones. Obviously, some very nice art. I think anything where Batman and Miracle Molly are in the skyline and it's just the you know the the lights of the city are making a backdrop. Uh, it's almost magical looking at the way yeah, it feels. Yeah, pretty gorgeous. Um, the colours are obviously very strong, a lot of purples, a lot of blues, greens, all that stuff. Um, really solid stuff. And, you know, Babs kind of, like, notices Scarecrow watching from above on one of the rooftops. She's kind of, like, more in the city. And that's one of the, the earlier beats in the he's, issue. He's been a bit creepy just in the middle of the day, just on the rooftop. As you do, as you do. Yeah. He's very invested on in things. Um Yeah, I mean it's it's funny, like it's one of these ones where it doesn't necessarily feel as uh like I think the last two issues had a lot of big things in them that made them feel a bit more like special or a bit more like because they had to be like, okay, start of not the run, but the start of this post Infinite Frontier phase of this run, this new chapter, wants to make a big impression because a lot of people are maybe trying out the book again, uh, because it's kind of a soft relaunch. And, and we've kind of settled back into this is a normal issue. Yeah, but I, I don't want to say that in a negative way because I actually think as far as the middle issue of an arc goes, this is actually perfectly solid and does nothing to. No, it's still a good issue. Me. Yeah, it just it's not it's not going above and beyond like some of the others. Yeah, I, I think this is the issue where Miracle Molly and how she interacts with Bruce, what her character is, what her motivations are where she stands on the line of right and wrong, 
and all that kind of thing. Those are the important things in this issue, and I think this is a necessary issue in establishing this Insanity Collective, because we've heard about them for a couple of issues now, but this is the one that kind of sets up the idea that they're not they're not just this evil group. There's a bit more of a nuance was, to it. I was going to say that about Molly herself, in that we know she's, oh, she's an, a villain, right? We've been told that, you know, this is the new villain they're introducing. She doesn't come across particularly villainous in this issue. No. At the very least, this is a very different type of villain to the, the, the ones that Batman usually has to fight. Even compared to... We've had a lot of villains over the years that have been like, I'm going to do better than you at protecting Gotham because it needs to be eradicated first or something like that. This is very different in that she is very level-headed and does have, you know, big notions and talks about, you know, what Gotham's done to everyone and they're using all the, the half-finished buildings that were when Enterprises were building during the expansion as bases, yeah. all that kind of and stuff. I think it's, it's coming at a time where she's saying this to Bruce where... Bruce is realizing this himself over the past, you know, few months of his life that, you know, that way wasn't necessarily working. Maybe there is more he could have been doing. Yeah, because I mean, there's a great line later in the issue where she actually says to him, like, whatever pain you're carrying, whatever like caused you to become Batman, do you not think you could be a better Batman, a better, you know, at, you know, fix, a better hero for this city if you left all that behind and were starting completely fresh, just as Batman. And he gives a very honest answer of, I don't know. <laughs> like, and it yeah. really, and it's that interesting question because Batman is so defined by his tragic past and why he became Batman. And this idea that, well, let's say that you're inherently a good person and you're inherently someone who would want to make the city better. And we took your past away from you. Would, would that be a better thing? It, it, it was, I mean, there's definitely been Batman stories in the past that I, I can't name from the top of my head, but that have done the, the almost it's a wonderful life thing. What if Bruce never became Batman? And let's see how he's maybe helping the city through different ways or or maybe or maybe it is worse. Maybe maybe the, the Wayne's just abandoned Gotham because it eventually got to a point where it's just so terrible that they couldn't stay anymore. Most recently uh, in King's run, right? The, the Booster Gold story. Yeah, that's an example of it. Um, yeah, but it's, 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 it's definitely been done better than that as well, let's be honest, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but that's the most recent example that comes to mind. Yeah, that's definitely not the first, though, by any means. Uh, it's such an yeah. obvious plot beat to do. That is the same as Superman, same with all of them, really. Like, they all do. Yeah. The, I mean, hell, the whole, the nail was, what happens if Superman never was there? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, really that simple. Or at least not in the same way. So... Yeah, it's a really solid middle issue, which I think progresses all the plots nicely, uh, builds some intrigue, gives me a character in Miracle Molly who may ultimately be antagonistic, but has a bit more depth, so she feels very different to a Joker. I, I even, uh, there was an article, I may have been Zoram, I may have been somewhere else, but I saw it, it was, it was on Twitter that said she's the anti-Joker, right? And I think that was Zoram. I never read the article to see what their argument was, but I, I can sort of even just thinking about that headline, I can kind of see the, the point that's being made. Yeah, I mean, in the way that, you know, it, she's using chaos to bring stability and to do the right thing, in that Joker just wants chaos for chaos' sake. It's strategic chaos. It's chaos to, like, move opinion, make people think differently. Uh, it's, yeah, there's a strategy behind it. And it doesn't feel like, you know, they're just out to kill as many people as possible or anything like that. They actually want to change things and but it's even different from say because i mentioned how we've had done tons of characters who think they can do things better and you can even maybe throw red hood under, under that umbrella a little bit the idea that 
oh, I'll do this better than Batman because Batman should be killing people. Um, this is again different to that. This isn't some. This isn't someone saying or a group saying you need to be more vicious necessarily. It's saying you have to play differently. I mean, because one of the points she says later on, which again I think is a really good thing, and in the same way that if we took away your past, would you be a better Batman? The idea of her saying, well. You started off by thinking criminals are scared and cowardly and that you can use fear. But what you maybe you fail to realize is that everyone is scared. Everyone is feeling cowardly in this city. And maybe you haven't utilized that with everyone else in the same... Not that, not that she's saying you should be scaring all them like you are the criminals, but that shouldn't be ignored. It should be used and in some, some way. As a really nice smart point as, as well, you know, the, the title of this chapter is, you know, The Cowardly Lot. Yeah. And it's like, okay, and, and that doesn't really come into it until that conversation, which is in the last couple of pages, I think. Yeah. Uh, where it really hits home what it is. Yeah. It was making me think, I don't know if you, did you have you played Miles Morales yet? The, uh... I played about at least half, probably a bit more. Yeah, I was actually getting some vibes. Uh, Miles has got like a friend in that who's in like a, a villainous kind of group. And mm. I was getting some similar vibes to this. In the same way that she's not, again, she's a fairly sympathetic character, even once, you know, all said and done, uh, you always understand where she was coming from and, like, you don't hate her for what she what she was or what she was doing. Uh, and I, I think a sympathetic villain is something... The Batman's not alien to There's definitely sympathetic villains and, you know, even, like, a Two-Face, there's that, like, oh, maybe he can redeem himself, maybe he can become who he was at some point, or, or Clayface, the monster with the heart, all that kind of thing. Man-Bat. Yeah, we've had these types of villains. But I think this is maybe a, a little bit different to even Noah's because this is potentially a villain where we'll always sympathize with what she was trying to do, even if we don't agree with it. And I think this does a decent job, I think, at least starting to build a sympathy with the audience where I can see myself getting to the end of this story. Well, it's the end of this arc. I don't think it will be this arc. I think this is, you know, she's going to be, this group's going to be present over a couple of arcs at the very least. I can see myself getting to the end of this story if it's done well enough and going, you know what? Obviously she had to lose. They had to lose, but I feel kind of bad that they had to lose because they, you know, she had a point. They had a point. Yeah. She's kind of fallen alongside lines across between, you know, those characters we were just talking about. And then someone like poison Ivy mm. where there is like, no, 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 we, we all understand her point and, and she's not wrong in her goals. Uh, just the, the the methods are, should we say, questionable. Yeah. I mean, Poison Ivy, I said this on the Top 50 when her name came up, but Poison Ivy's a weird one because I feel like our understanding in the real world, our culture of climate change over the last like several decades has probably altered how writers write Poison Ivy because ultimately a lot of the things she says has actually got a lot more weight behind it than maybe people originally it, thought. It, probably is a large part of the reason why she has shifted away from being a villain to yeah. whatever she is now. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that sentiment changing is maybe a partly, partially contributed. I also do think there's a lot of horny people out there that just think she's hot, and that's maybe also contributed to the thirst. The thirst is real. Hey, the thirsty people are happy with the villains as well. <laughs> True. I mean, as I said, Resident Evil 8 is coming out uh, later tonight. Um, <laughs> Prime example. Have you, have, you, have you seen the internet talking about the tall vampire lady? Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, I think it's the most mainstream example I've ever seen of people like just openly been into the whole, like, you know, the, the domi it was just like, dominatrix sort of it, fetish. It, it was the, the epitome of uh, the uh, horny on main. Yeah, yeah. 
So, get a ship out, man, though. <laughs> it was actually, you know, I, 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 like I said, for all I'm like, oh, it's not that exciting, it's a middle issue, it's still really good, and I'm really enjoying it. I think one of the things I said about last issue, is, I, I feel this again here, is that I just, I love the, the aura of what the city feels like right now, the ongoing threads with Barbara's Oracle, with Simon building up his thing, with Scarecrow building the sense of fear, because at one point there's a random line in this, I mean, it may have been in Next Batman actually, which is doing a good job of tying into continuity right now, is... The idea that everyone's just on edge because Scarecrow's next attack could come at any point. And that fear's built because he left that, you know, the, the literal Scarecrow in the mayor's house or whatever. And Yeah. Like, th- this, there's a good sense of what the city is feeling as in a constant ongoing thing. And that's something that I think, when you capture that, you really give me the sense of an ongoing series that I'm enjoying as as a as a series, where I'm like really invested in the, the world around it's, it. It's interesting because... Often people talk about writers using Gotham as a character. Um, and usually they don't mean it in this way, right? They, they talk about the, the actual, the, the architecture, the, mm. the, the mood of, of the, the buildings, the look. Um, whereas this here, the entire city of Gotham, obviously there are various people, there's, there's you know, I'm sure lots of different viewpoints, but the overriding kind of majority feeling is boiling down to, you know, in this case, fear. And that is coming through. Uh, and it is using Gotham, the people, as a character, rather than Gotham, the city. Yeah, and I think that's smart. I think, that, I think that builds a lot. And it builds the idea of, like, you know, one of the things we always talk about in The Dark Knight, uh, you know, the movie, is that that movie's about the battle for the, the people of Gotham and their, like, their, you know, the chaos versus order of, like, winning the mains of, of the city. And it, it does lead to this idea where, you know, the happy ending for this arc or this batch of arcs, like the whole scope of the run, could simply be giving the city hope and making them feel like they aren't all screwed. Because right now it's in a really shitty place. They're all scared of Scarecrow. Um, obviously, I didn't read issue two of Joker, but that even the punchline story and the backup and what that was doing where this, like, pr- almost argument and, like, this for and against, was she being manipulated? Is she really a monster? And that's messing, and she's like building a following of people who are kind of getting extremists in, the, in their protests and things like that. Like, all this sort of stuff is going on, and there's a lot of layers to what's going on in Gotham right now, which has been built very nicely amongst the different Because even obviously, detectives adding a lot to it as well, with all the, mm. the, the elite of Gotham and them being infected with a murderer and all this stuff. So, um, if, if at the end of this run could like find some sort of like hopeful tone or hopeful. Idea for Gotham that that could be the victory that ultimately no matter what else happens no matter what misery we go through with Batman and what misery some of the characters have to suffer that could be the the win. I think I, it, it's possible that this issue is the mission statement for the yeah. run in that it spoke about you know Batman you know he thought it was a, a similar fear for the criminals but everyone's afraid right now and that includes presumably being afraid of Batman as well. On some level, because they're just scared of the idea, the the the, the what he, what he stands for, even if they don't think they've done anything wrong. And I wonder if by the end it's kind of restoring that Batman is a symbol of hope, not a symbol of fear. I do wonder does that does that lead us then to a natural point in this this run, probably towards the end, where Batman does become a bit more open to appearing publicly, whether that means in daytime or just means in a more friendly light, like. You know, because right now, obviously, Montoya's been told to hunt the masks and all the rest of it, and everyone's kind of on edge. Like, does he actually make an appearance that's a bit more 
untypical Batman where he'll he actually maybe says something to a crowd or something or something like that where he'll I don't know do do make some sort of act of like not her heroism because he does that all the time anyway like and you know and but just not people everyone sees it and the few that do it's in a small confined place or something something that does he do something where he just like actually doesn't have some showmanship and and to a crowd but like will he just extend something that is a, that shows improvement where he leaves a little bit of who batman was before behind is that kind of where we're going with this where you know i, I don't know what the example yeah, I, would be that's why i'm not writing the book that's that's why Titan's writing the book that's but, his job to worry about yeah but i suspect you're kind of in the right direction yes yeah uh so uh it could be interesting and i don't necessarily think he's going to pull the superman and reveal who he is although Funny thing is, because of how they've explored the comparison and what Batman thinks of Superman doing that, like, I'm not against at some point in the future Batman making the choice to end the secret identity, like... I'm not, but I think it can't be his decision, in the way that oh, okay. Superman, it was Clark's decision, right? Because how many people does that really affect, right? Mm-hmm. Lois and, and John, and John was basically gone anyway, right? So... Kind of the two of them. Yeah, you're telling me I have to get the Bat family in and like to have them vote on it. <laughs> Once everyone knows it's Bruce, it's like, well, it's really easy to work out Dick and Tim, everyone, right? Because they're That's all true. so publicly connected to Bruce. I think so. I think it's a much bigger decision in that sense because it affects a lot more of them. I think. That's maybe one of the reasons why John was aged up and like away for a bit is because I think it's a much harder choice for Clark to make if his son is in school and. Like revealing who he is would affect his life, but because he came back and he's already a teenager, well, we've kind of skipped over that, so there's no consequences for him. To, in the same way that it would be, I I feel like it'd be like you know what I've decided I'm going to do this, but I'm going to wait until John leaves for college and he's an adult, <laughs> because doing this to him now when he's in you know junior high mm. is going to just completely cause chaos in his life. So arguably would have made for a more interesting story, but it could yeah it could have been a more interesting story. But, but... I, I I get where you're coming from and and maybe you're on to something with that being part of the reason as to why it could well be uh, <laughs> on, on, on the flip side though I, I feel like damien's the one who would care the least about be, being revealed he's like i don't care i'm damien i'm here at the bat <laughs> yeah D- damien won't give a shit but I, I think the others would and uh, i think i think th- they might even accept that no this is the right thing to do and might vote yes you know we should reveal go public so to speak but I think they would, they would despise Bruce forever if he made that choice without that consent. I wonder if he put him into a corner where he has to do it to like save the day, and it's not so much a choice that he makes, you know, because he's mm. being selfish. It's more just because I can't believe I'm going to do this. But one of the best things about Batman Forever is there's a moment where Two Face demands that Batman <laughs> reveal himself, and Bruce stands up and says, "I'm Batman." He doesn't. He doesn't really even hesitate. He's, if it means saving lives, he's going to do it. It's just that no one hears him because the crowd's all screaming. <laughs> I just recorded an hour and a half podcast with the biggest Batman Forever fan in the world, and he didn't mention Batman Forever once. And here I am, for half an hour with you, and you go on about it. <laughs> it's boiling acid. But um, he, uh, yeah, that is, I don't know. Like, I wonder if you put him into a corner where they'll understand why he had to do it in the moment. Even if it's, you know, obviously if it was something where they, he just made the choice to do it, yeah, it would be kind of a big F you to everyone else that would affect. Yeah. No, that's fair to say. But, um, 
I think it's just one of those things where I don't, I don't think he's going to do that at the end of this run. Let me make that clear. I'm not suggesting that's actually going to happen. But I feel like the sort of change we're talking about is the sort of thing that could be a stepping stone to one day him saying, I do actually want to make that choice. I just think, uh, just while you're on that, so I think it's so interesting how optimistic we're being in that so far, everything is going down the path of future state coming true, right? And we're just kind of here going, well, it can't. We, 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 everything we're suggesting is like, no, 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 the story has to be avoiding future state, and it, it probably does. But it is fascinating to me that we, we didn't even have that conscious conversation. There was no decision. We've just both come to this, no, no, this is the story. Uh, because, you know. because it's not interesting. If it just becomes exactly like future state was and future state, if that wasn't just a warning of where it could go, then it's like, yeah. so we just spend, what, like five arcs getting to future state, and then Oh, future state's here. Now we have to get our way out of it and somehow back to like a recognizable continuity for everything to carry on. No, it's not going to be that. That'd be annoying no. and stupid. It <laughs> so, would be. so, yeah, like some somehow at some point there is going to be, and that that'll be interesting. Is okay. What what are the key moments or decisions that change the course of where this is going? Like, what what what's the key decision that either Bruce or someone else makes that stops future state Batman think- from happening? I think that's what's interesting as well, is is the ripple effects of... There's a lot of different Future State books that were all technically, as far as we know, in the same continuity. And, like, you know, the various books are building to their own stuff in different ways. You know, we, we, we know the Superman family where I mean, John take over Superman, Clark's off to do War World stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, again, like this, are building towards that status quo. And it's... How far down this line do we go before we have to break away and kind of do something different? Well, the fact is, some of them were set much further in the future than the others were, depending mm-hmm. on what the books were. And, like, some of the Superman stuff feels like it could be fairly soon enough, where maybe Warworld stuff, that could kind of just become, like... I mean, I'm sure there's some small details that say otherwise, but the main bulk of it, like, there's no reason why that can't just be a story that's ongoing in present-day Superman in a couple of arcs' time. But there's other stories where... Okay, John Superman's fine, but Yara Flor's Wonder Woman. So th- th- those things have to line up. And how far in the future is she Wonder Woman? Like th- yeah. th- things like that. Where, and then there's other ones where it was like ages away in the future. Where it's like, well, we can't get to there naturally without a time jump. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those ones are different. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't spent too much time thinking about it because I'm just trusting them here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm not either, and. and... I, I only brought it up because I, you know, we were talking about it just again because we're, we're we're assuming it's not going to hit that point, and we were just talking about it like, oh, this is what will probably happen. This is what we think might happen, and at no point did any of us say, yeah, but future state says this. You know, it was just a complete disregard of that. Like, oh, that's not going to hold them back, and it, it was. I just kind of noticed that we hadn't kind of even considered that. Because, I'll put it this way, if if we end up to exactly what the, the Batman side of things were in Future State and Batman, and to an extent Detective Comics, if we just get to exactly what Future State was, then Future State itself was kind of pointless, because why set up all these threads and details if we're not going to change it? If we're not going to show where things can go and then in, you know introduce Peacemaker 1 or Peacekeeper 1 and, and do these things like throughout? If you're not going to show how we change things if we're just going to have it play out and just go exactly to to the b the, you know if we're on point a just there if we're just going to get to point b exactly the point b we're expecting to get to then you've not done anything with the story you've just got there 
<laughs> and it's no, not, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no change, and you change. The, the key thing about a story is you have point A to point B, and there's a change. There's an arc, and that is the that is the fundamental 101. That is the key thing you need in a story. <laughs> yeah. That's Pretty it. Much. That's the that's the key thing, and obviously there's other stories on the way there and stuff. But if it just gets to what Future State was with no change, with no variation, with no idea that. First of all, like if they, if it was let's say Batman was going to get there exactly, then what is every other book that had a future state example going to get to the, those exact futures at the same time, or at varying points? That would be really dull. It'd be a really stupid choice. It would so be weird. Yeah. Again, I trust them not to do something silly like that. Yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah, main story solid. Um, it is Batman one hundred eight. Uh, what are you giving the main story? Uh, I'm giving it. A- 7.5. Um, not quite as flashy as, as previous issues, but really solid, you know, nuts and bolts, middle of the story stuff. I'm happy to give it the... I, I, th- I think it, it's a great middle issue. And, you know, th- that comes with whatever caveats you, you want to give it. But the art's fantastic. All, you know, all the stuff with them up in the up in the top of the skyscrapers that are unfinished with the, the city lights behind us. That, that full-page spread of when they're first on the drone just flying over the city looks gorgeous. Uh, a, a lot of that stuff and I, and I think you know Simon Saint been this little sniveling prick who is like tricking you know he's like oh we're not going to make you spend a penny for your cybernetic things it's just that you know if this magistrate program goes through you'll be peacekeeper number one and you'll do your and we kind of know from Future State that he's going to be fairly into it so it's not like he's but I do wonder if there's going to be an element of this where it's going to be a little bit more tragic where we're going to feel like he's actually been kind of coerced there's an obligation into yeah. it rather than he wants to and yeah. he become and he's, yeah he's a prick in the future, but like, what steps along the way make him that prick? You know, and he's so. a bit of a prick already. Let's be honest. What Mahoney? A little bit. A little bit. But he still save people. There's still there's no. again there's a sympathy there because he actually did do the heroic thing before. He did. He's he's. I'm not saying he's a bad person, but like I say, things like him being so jaded and bitter about Gordon that may or may not even be true. Him and he's been holding on to that mm. for years. Tells me, okay, no, he's probably at least a bit of a prick, and Gordon probably didn't accept him for a reason. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, I think better is a fair word. He's a, he's a better man. Hmm. Uh, so then the Ghost Maker back up with him on the island fighting the uh, robot tigers, trying to get to this uh, Madame Gold or whatever her name is. It was about it was something like that. Um, Madame Midas, that's what it was. Madame Midas, that was close. That was close. Uh, gold Midas, yeah, acceptable link. So, uh, basically, and this seems to be the setup for what the formula for these backups is going to be, is because she has these previous, all these villains that have faced them before, and one which, you know, appears to be a little girl tells the story of the last time she encountered them. I've got a feeling the next four or five of these are going to be the other villains telling their story, and that's how they're going to format this, which, I mean, it's fine, because it, you know, it fits neatly into a 10-page thing, you know, a little bit of setup, and then the, the story itself. It's fine, they're just not super engrossing no it's i appreciate trying to do more i think the problem with this is instead of giving us a story at least so far which makes me like ghostmaker by giving me something to sympathize with or empathize with it's more about trying to sell me on how cool he is because he's got all these fighting skills and look at how cool the fight is where he cuts off her face and then like her head melts back together you know yeah um it's, it's one of the things i think i think me and matt said this with the first uh, part of this backup but 
it is very much a wrestling thing of trying to oversell someone by saying, look at how great they are because we're going to like make them destroy 50 other people. But the problem is, as we know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's written, it's a script. So you're just making him overpowered to try and get him over to make us think he's cool and badass. But if you try too hard without giving him any weight, uh, it comes across as try hard and it comes across as uh, a, a, a bit uh, just a bit fabricated and it just doesn't feel like it's hitting. So, I, I, not that I hate Ghostmaker, it's just, it, it does feel like it's trying a bit hard to make me think he's cool. Yeah, and we didn't particularly love him in the first place. Yeah. I mean, my, my dislike of him to begin with was more about the retconning into Batman's backstory. So, yeah, they never gave us anything about him personally that we enjoyed. No. Uh, he's he's a, he's still, he's just a little bit lame. He's not amazingly lame. He's still, I'm not like oh, Ghostmaker's been mentioned. Like I'm not, I'm not at that stage by any means. But he's just, he's a little bit lame. Yeah, he's a little no, bit I'm lame. It's fine. Um, I have really mixed feelings on the lettering in this. Um, because I I like the that it is different, right? It got a very, you know, a very different style of font that we're using, and I think I like that for Ghostmaker. I wish he had a different font to some of the villains and it differentiated a bit more. Uh, but I, I, I appreciate it them you know trying something different. I think DC often has a very house style when it comes to their lettering that can be a bit boring. Um, I will say that I really don't like reading his little ghost speech, the blue on the white, and it's like the broken up blue. Yeah, like Vol or whatever he's talking. No, no, no. Uh, sorry, that's next Batman talks to Vol. Uh, Icon. Icon is the one he's. Yeah, is the one he's talking to. There's too, yeah. too many. Too many it looks like a little, it, it looks like a Pac-Man ghost. There's too many relatively new characters talking to someone in comms. Uh, I'm mixing up all the names, but yes, yeah, Icon. But I, I really do not like reading that thing's text. No, I agree. Um, sometimes when I get robotic text like that, because I, I love the, the Ninja Turtles and I love the, I haven't. I mean, I'm not up to date, but I've read the first fifty plus issues of the, the IDW uh, Ninja Turtle series, and. There's a character called Fujitoid in that, and he got like a special one-shot kind of thing, and his dialogue is all in this robotic, very square-style text boxes, and I looked at one page of that and went, you know what, I don't need to read this annual equivalent issue, I'm good. <laughs> it just it was, it turned me off immediately. So, I, I can't, uh, I can't really dispute that. I mean, it doesn't bother me as much when it's only a few boxes, because it's not someone that talks that often, but... It, yeah, I, I get a complaint. Yeah, like I say, it's not it's not breaking the issue for me because it's not enough, but it's just not pleasant to read. Ah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, extreme cursive as well can piss off and die. Uh, that's why I couldn't read a... Uh, what was that Batman book? Creature of the Night. Yeah. yeah just I couldn't get through that letter. I, I really liked what I read of that, but I get the complaint. Um... I was willing to fight through it because I like the writer and the art so much. Which, which, by the way, we should probably mention. Uh, John Paul Leon. Uh, that was this week, wasn't it? Yeah, very suddenly passed away. I, I, I should have put that in the news. I just kind of, it, it's um, super sad. I mean, it, his name just popped up on the solicits like a week or two ago. Like the last time we talked about solicits, his name's on. I think it's the, uh, is it the Batman Catwoman fill-in issue? Maybe it was something else, but it was something like that. Something else, I think. Yeah. Maybe it is that. I don't know. It was a it was a one issue thing, whatever it was. But his name was there for the art, and I said, "Oh, how much I I'm looking forward because I love his art, and he's made such an impression and so 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 little number of mm. issues for me." Um, 
and just all of a sudden there was just news this week that he he passed away and uh, yeah he had like a 17 year battle with cancer that finally yeah yeah he was only 49 um yeah uh yeah it was cancer and, and we knew he'd had you know particularly troublesome bouts with it in the past uh i remember talking you know creature of the night in particular i think the last issue or two of that was delayed by heavily yeah like like a year uh due to you know him struggling you know with 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 cancer at that time um so it's not like i say it's not like it's completely out of nowhere in that sense but uh, th- there was no like one like he was particularly getting worse or anything like that right now it was I, just i think that you know just seeing his name on a solicit almost makes me think the opposite it makes me think oh he's he's, he's doing work again he's, so he's I, working away yeah. he's working away he must be fine here yeah. um so and it that seems to be the general reaction from everyone even you know people who knew him i don't think real you know this is going to come out of nowhere for, for them as well yeah so sudden i mean obviously yes he had cancer but he'd been fighting it for so long and the, you know the people who are close to him presumably know what he's like when he's having a worse time with it or when he's having uh you know a, a more comfortable time where he's, he's he's fit and he's doing things and whatever but um that's it, supposed to show that these things can just uh you know and obviously the cancer itself didn't come out of nowhere but just the, the final bout the final thing that kind of put an end to his life just sprung yeah. up out of nowhere so that was really sad to sad to read this week um I that's why I did a double take. Like I was like, did I read that name right? Like, was that the name that I thought I just read? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. No, it sucked. Uh, it, it was at least nice to see everyone on comics Twitter kind of just sharing stories and art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are always nice to to read and see. No, very good. I'm just going to note that a timestamp here so I can timestamp this separately so people can find it. So because it's buried them the, the Batman back up of all places. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, weird place to talk about it, um, but no, it, it, it was uh, it was very sad. I just I just saw like a random tweet about it on you know just someone said something about it. It didn't even say that he died or anything. Like in the tweet, I was like, I saw it. I was like, oh no, what's happened? You know, quickly search his name and just see you know all of the tweets and be like, oh god. Yeah, no, that's a shame. So uh, I don't really want to say anything more about this backup now. Uh, it feels like this this. Uh, put it into this yeah, conversation. Yeah, I have to say about it anyway, to be honest. Uh, what were you writing this? Uh, six, it's fine. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with six. It's, it's perfectly fine. It's just, it's not like a poorly told comic or anything like that. And the art, you know, the action's all right. Like, it's got some motion to it, but... Uh, very, uh, very manga-esque. Yeah. But that, that's setting my world on fire by, by any means. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we will move on then. Green Lantern, issue two, Jeffrey Thorne, writing with Dexter Soy and Marco Santucci on the art. Uh, now, you weren't here for issue one of this. Uh, have you read issue one and th- therefore issue two? Yes and no. I read issue one earlier today because, okay. yeah, I, I was like, okay, I really, I really need to read this. And I was like, eh, you know what? I'm not really enjoying this uh, by the end. And then I was like running, running late on time. I was like, "Screw it, not reading issue two. I, I, if if I'd had more time, I probably would have tried it again because I didn't hate it. I just didn't really like it that much. What's so funny about this book is that yeah, obviously, but we all had our reservations going in because the the, the writer who did you know who did this who did the future state issues and there weren't the one we tried wasn't that good. Yeah, and then I hear Matt loved this book. He loved issue one. He was over the moon. I. 
you know, I thought there was some rough edges to issue one, but I did like a lot of what it was doing and what it was setting up and uh, some of the questions it was raging about, or raising, raging, uh, raising about, you know, breaking the heart free and bringing magic back and stuff like that, and how that ties into the Alan Scott side of things. And, you know, and there was the big ending of the assassination of, of a guardian and all that. This issue... Issue two. So issue one was a longer issue. It didn't have a backup. It was just, it, but it got the, that that size of pages, yep. uh, that page count, rough to, to say it properly. This issue was normal sized, um, which I think benefited a little bit because you know, the pacing didn't feel as as drawn out. Not that there wasn't a lot happening in that first issue because there was, but um, this is two issues in now, and both issues are like full of like really big things. Like this also has a big ending where it introduces a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of, like, setting the table of what Green Lantern's going to be for the next while, what the status quo is. And the funny thing is, is that it does such a, a decent job of setting up this is what the status quo is now for Green Lantern going forward, that the ending then adds in this big shock that completely shakes what they've just set up in a different way. And it's like, okay, all right, I need to get my bearings. And that's not even this, like, complaint. I was kind of into most of what happened in this issue. But it was just, there was so much going on. I'm actually... It's what's so funny is that the complaint we had about the Future State issue that uh, Thorn wrote was that it was essentially a lacking plot. It was just a fight. Meandering was, and fluff. Yeah, it was just a fight that went on for the whole issue and everything that we're talking about just felt like it was fill, fluff and filler to justify the action. There is so much plot in these two issues of Green Lantern so far. That I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to keep, a, keep it all in my head. So without further ado, let me, let me actually talk about this. So, the natural event, of course, to follow on from last issue is there's, there's a funeral uh, for, for the Guardian. As hinted by the, uh, the, the cover. cover. Yeah. And we get, like, some of the lanterns who are there in person in their sort of their black funeral version of their, their outfits, which is a nice touch. Um, oh, they're not in those on the cover. No. But some of the others are there too, but they're not in the black suits because they're being projected because they're, you know, elsewhere, right? So they're just like a Green Lantern projection um, calling in from afar. And we see that the uh, the culprits from the terrorist attack are being in, are in cells, and they're you know the, the women in particular screaming about her magical return. So it's like, okay, I'm already kind of into this. I'm kind of excited about where they're going with these ideas. Uh, they talk about how like the an you know an accomplice to the, this these was like a giant dragon creature that they, they had to fight right after the assassination. So we get some you know glimpses of that, and you know they, they kind of establish these things and how, how because it's a magically based creature this dragon thing uh they can't just like the, the ring energy doesn't do anything to it it just kind of bounces off so they have to like sort of use the ring energy to like pick up rocks and that that does damage to it so it's not a big workaround but it's setting up that maybe there's going to be some obstacles where the rings just don't you know handle the magic necessarily well so we get this big funeral sequence and uh the guardian uh who's left here uh she i mean there's more guardians but out of the two who were together last issue she basically makes this announcement that they're completely restructuring the core because they've, they've, they have made it into the united planets so again i like the continuity and the, the shared universe element of oh that's actually affecting things and oh i getting to become a part of that is affecting things basically one of the the the, the worries of the other planets and the the federation here and the United Planets, is that Oa is really powerful. It has, like, a, a fleet... You know, it has this, this, you know, the Green Lantern Corps are, like, thousands of superpowered soldiers 
that you know police the galaxy there's a concern that, that they have too much power so they, they basically say that I think it's what, 1,200 lanterns are being taken off their sectors, and those sectors are being given to the, uh, the United Planets, like, guard, like, the, the, you know, the Thanagarians or whoever it is that's running that. And they're being taken off that duty. And a bunch of lanterns get reassigned. And it goes down kind of like a lead balloon, where they all get, you know, there's, like, a page where there's all these different, you know, the lantern captions of saying, you know, uh, you know, you know, lantern crews, uh, you're going to, uh, Oshiha, uh, which is a crux world. And we learn about there's all, so much mythology in this issue. We thought we learn about the Crux worlds and talking about how Earth's one of those, and the 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 Guardian even brings up like why 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 do you think that Earth has had seven human lanterns and and with the span of one lifetime, no other planet has had seven lanterns from the same planet in the span of like a single lifetime. Like Earth is kind of special. It's kind of the the Crux. It's the, it's the heroic Crux world or some that that effect. I'll get to the page itself and be more specific in a minute, but they're all pissed. They're all pissed that they're being assigned elsewhere, that some of the human lanterns are being shoved out to these planets that are far from home. The aliens are all kind of pissed. So, so John goes to speak to the Guardian and says, okay, what's going on? Why, why wasn't this discussed with us? Why has this just been shoved in her face? What is this? And there's so much stuff that's brought up here, uh, some of which, which I've alluded to already. And so... It talks about how Earth is going to become the fifth world, right? For a start, right? Which is obviously is kind of big because we talk about the fourth world uh, all the time. And it talks about how some worlds are more vital than others. And Earth is becoming one of those worlds. And some of these crux worlds have to be defended. Um, but it introduces what the main threat is here. And the mission, because one of the things that I noticed, if you're, if you're paying attention during the pages where all the lanterns are getting their new orders... Some are being assigned to, like, you know, a new planet or a new sector. Some just say quest. And I did think to myself, what does quest mean? What, what is quest? And because there is a quest that they're going to be sending over a thousand lanterns on, which John is going to lead, because they offer him the, the role of leadership on this mission. So, at the edge of the known galaxies, uh, there is a dark realm, and something is infecting it something is going on i'm going to try and get the, the right dialogue here uh just uh because because he asked like you know why didn't you give me or gardener like planets to look after it's just yeah. just while you're finding the thing yeah this sounds like something i should be really into yes it just sounds like it might also potentially be too dense in this issue for my taste this this sounds like a lot, and you're not even at the end big thing yet. I'm not. No, the big shock thing comes at the end. So, yeah, the dark sectors. The dark sectors are regions of, between known space and the Promethean galaxies. That's what it was. I was I was trying to remember what was in the other side of the dark sectors. That's what that's what I was looking for. The Promethean galaxies, which just makes me think of uh, Mass Effect, honestly. <laughs> a lot of Promethean talk in Mass Effect. Um, just a week till that comes out. Uh, the remaster, yes. I don't know if I'm getting it straight away because I literally just got Returnal, which is fantastic, by the way. And I I like the look of Returnal, but I'm not paying seventy quid for it. Fine, your choice. Mm. I mean, I didn't pay seventy pound for it either, but uh... fine. But that's the the, the retail price, and yes. I don't want to support that. All right, fine. Well, I guess you're just not buying any new games then for mm. a while. Um, not so many ones. I'm not now. Um. But yeah, so so Promethean galaxies, um, beyond the dark sectors, 
And they talk about how the dark sisters, because they can't look into them, They're, the guardians are prevented because there's threads of hypertime, eruptions from the bleed, underspace cyclones happening. Lots of big phrases. Lots of really big cataclysmic galactic sounding mm. phrases. These barriers are recent. They are clearly artificial. We wish for you to investigate. That's the mission that is 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 given here. There's like a purpose, and you know, it basically says something. To it, but even a hundred lanterns wouldn't be able to deal with this. Like, it's like, oh, you're not going to be alone. You're taking over a thousand lanterns on a vessel. So they're actually going to have a ship. They're just going to all be flying together because it's such a big long journey. And because there are going to be so many of them, they're 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 make, they make a ship, which does look like a green lantern construct. Um. And it may actually just very well be like a shared Green Lantern construct that they all do together. But I do wonder if there is actually a core ship under there as well to actually like house them. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah. So it's funny because he feels all kind of prominent here. And one of the things that also gets brought up as well is um, what some of the other Crux worlds were. Um, because there's not as many as there used to be. There were supposed to be seven. But they've, uh, this is the line here. Uh, two were lost. We failed to prevent the destruction of Krypton. So, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Tying in Krypton into this. And then, he, and then just throws the, the Guardian just throws this out there. And of course, there is your failure. You remember Zanshi, of course. And I'm like, damn! Wait, wait, blame Judge Stewart for the destruction of one of the, the Crux worlds. I don't know. It's, just, you know, it's just, this, this really sad moment. I liked how it came up here, though, because sometimes it gets overmentioned by John Stewart. I kind of like to hear, though, because it made me feel like it was really important. Like, it, you know, like, along with these other planets. Um, so, super interesting stuff here. I'm sure I'm sure there's a ton of mythology this also ties into. This is the sort of thing that I'm sure Matt's doing deep dives on DC Wiki. And oh, he definitely is. He's, he's looking into, like, what these other Crux worlds are exactly and what they all represent and all the rest of it. But, um, but John takes the mission. He's, he's actually quite pleased about it. He's like, you know, he's, he says he's in. Uh, and is really quite proud. So the final scenes of the issue is John speaking to Kelly and saying, "Look, you have to go back home. Uh, uh, Simon Baz is going to take her back home." And he's like, "Don't worry, they're not going to take the gunlet away from you yet." And she's insisting that she's a Green Lantern. And he's like, "No, you're not. You, you, you're a good person. You might even you're even a hero probably already because you already try to do your best to help people. But you're not a Green Lantern yet. And one day you you probably can be and you probably will be. But you know, do me a favor. You know, Baz is you know." He's not, he's not the, the most level-headed guy, so while he's keeping an eye on you, keep an eye on him. It's kind of a sweet little, you know, giving her a job. You know, not a real job, but still. Uh, it's a sweet little moment. Um, so he goes up to his uh, his big ship, and the ship takes off, and it's, it's this thing where, you know, even Baz is looking up going, hey, that's pretty cool, look at that. Um, this is kind of amazing. Um, and this alien sort of octopus-looking thing <laughs> comes up in a starts talking to Kelly and basically it talks about how she's really hungry and then just out of nowhere at the end of this page right it's just a panel where she's sort of looking over to her side and she says oh Simon what's wrong with the big battery and you turn the page it's a two page spread of the power battery exploding okay and a branding green bright light as the aliens on O are just running for their lives uh, it's like just this, you know, it looks like a nuclear blast going off, but it's the power battery. And 
we, we see kind of like reactions around the world like people like watching this like uh, it looks like mongols quite pleased when he's, he's watching it on a on a thing i bet uh, he is uh we, we see like you know kyle react to it where he is out in the vega system um you know we see a few other reactions um and then presumably this guy in the orange cloak is like the main villain behind the, this magic group he says yes yeah, so i die quickly this is mercy though you don't know it um and the last couple of pages is like a it's like almost like a pov shot we see like a green beam of light coming towards oa and we go like a pov we see like the hands out in front so you don't really know who it is that's coming and when we see this, this the cities on oa it, it, it looks like you know terminator 2 it looks like there's like there's craters and the buildings look desolate like people like pe- lots of people died here in fact the implication here is that everyone who was on the planet barring one died uh from the sounds of the the readings actually no that's not entirely true every green lantern on oa barring one died okay uh so there could be survivors that are not green lanterns they're just were on oa uh maybe that's an important distinction but because uh, because whoever this is like the ring's searching and says there are zero green lanterns in range um which maybe not isn't maybe that isn't the whole planet admittedly maybe i'm reading too much into that but i, I would assume that's the whole planet um but and you can already kind of see where the swerve's coming here because technically kelly's not a green lantern so that's why it's not registering her as a green lantern so but you know it's like so we see a silhouette this figure whoever it is is going towards this little bubble right so Kelly's made a little green bubble and she's trying to protect Baz. And it looks like Baz is dead. Baz is lying there. He's got blood on his his hand. He's not moving. Kelly, presumably in Port- it's in Portuguese, uh, just saying something and crying at seemingly Baz's dead body. And then the final page reveals who has been flying towards Oa. It's Joe. And Joe looks down at Kelly as she's crying. And that's the final page of the, the book. And... Uh, yeah so the power bar which makes me the first question i have wait all those lanterns that just went on this mission can they not recharge their batteries now like uh the rings like is that them like once they run out is there no more power at least for now presumably and does that yeah. make kelly's gauntlet really special because it's not coming from the power it wasn't coming from the power battery so is she the only technical functioning green lantern because her and actually joe as well because joe's rings separate right maybe from what we read in in her book which obviously we, we kind of uh, drifted away from because the, the the schedule was so bad i don't want to go back and finish that though i kind of want to just read the whole thing from the start because it was i'm an issue behind so but i think there's only been one issue since we dropped off entirely <laughs> that's because it's yeah every other month and then even then yeah. sometimes it gets delayed but uh this was exciting like this final page was like super i mean oh, the whole final scene like the, the way it just suddenly happened, where the lantern, uh, the, the power battery, the big power battery blew up, just felt like a huge deal. And Because even before that point, if you take that away, I was already into, okay, there's a big menace out at the edge of space. John's taking a, a legion of lanterns with Guy to go and see what it is and investigate. And I'm sure that's still going to be a subplot. Um, It sets up this new restructuring of everything. It makes it about something that isn't about the other lantern cores. So it's a nice, fresh story. At least for me, I, mean, I don't know what, you know, Grant Morrison was doing <laughs> over the last couple of years, but, you know, it felt like a fresh take on Green Lantern. It was playing with a lot of the different characters. It was focused on some that maybe hadn't had as much focus in the last few years, as well as this new character, uh, or two new characters now. 
But this explosion happens, and you get the sense, you know, because it talked about the, you know, the the magic escaping, like the star being set free. Um, presumably, that's what this explosion of the power battery is. Is that you know what's contained within it has been set free. So this, I mean, this could go down the toilet. This could go a number of ways that would be really weird and unsatisfying. But right now, I have to admit, I'm very interested. <laughs> as to where we go from here because this really sort of shakes up the entire green lantern mythos a little bit and says okay they're completely screwed they're, they're like this is a big deal and it's funny that i think issue one had enough in it to feel like a big proper first issue but issue two almost feels like the second half of a two-parter where this is really like shaking up and establishing that this run's going to be different and try to like move forward and do its own green lantern things and whatever so, um, basically what I'm trying to say, to summarize my thoughts on this issue, is that Matt loved issue one, I liked what it was doing, but had some rough edges. I'm kind of closer to where Matt was in issue one, where I kind of just loved this issue. Uh, so, um, at least two of us on this show are going to keep reading Green Lantern, and hopefully we'll continue to feel very positive about it. I, I, I do plan on reading this issue. Um, I, 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 you know, if, if, if we weren't recording on a Thursday, I would have read this in time, but yeah, just, I just ran out of time. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I I like all the things that you've said. It just sounds so dense that I don't know if I'll enjoy reading it. If that makes sense. I don't actually think it feels that dense in the book, though. Bizarrely, um, if it doesn't, then that's impressive, because that was so much you've just. You know, spewed out I, for the I, last five minutes. I generally don't think it does. You know, it's, it's very like it explains kind of the aftermath of what happened uh, last issue. We get the funeral with the big announcement, and then John goes to confront them, and we have this conversation, which has a lot in it, admittedly. But you know, it's like it's all interesting stuff. And then it's him saying goodbye to Kelly, and then the surprise explosion of the battery, and you know, the tease of Joe at the end. Like, you know, it's it's really it's, it's simple enough sections. Unless this was a longer issue, and I just. <laughs> like, uh, I don't think so. Oh, it is, son. <laughs> oh, it does have extra pages. Okay, never mind. You just uh, didn't even notice. Well, All right, that well, that well, makes well, it a little bit better. Which is a compliment in of itself, quite frankly. No, it is. It is because I I I, 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 I felt I felt the length of the first issue. I didn't feel the length of this one. I, I felt it in that first one. Um, I, I think that that's that makes it more. I don't want to say bearable, because that, that sounds really harsh. I don't mean it to sound so harsh, but a, appropriate? That sounds like a more appropriate length for the amount of stuff that you've just told me. Yes. Um, don't be wrong, still sounds like a lot, but not to quite the same extreme amount as in 20 pages. Yes, I wasn't even paying attention to the page count. That's, <laughs> I mean... Uh, fair enough. I, yeah, I... Honestly, like... I, I'm on board, and I think it's just fascinating actually that they're doing the extra ten pages, but without a backup. It's actually very, it shows a lot of confidence that you know the, the the creative team has a a good direction, and they've got X amount they want in each issue, and it also explains why we're consistently having the two artists uh, in the issue between Science and Tucci. Yeah, um, but sorry, I just saw something completely unrelated that I, I want to query you about. Well, hold on, uh, if it's unrelated, let me rate the book then, so at least there can be between, okay. between timestamps. Um, so, yes. I mean, I, this is super promising. I, I'm i tempted to even go with a nine here. Uh, 
the, the only hesitation is, yeah, obviously the art is not super consistent. And Santucci is good, but obviously Dexter Soy is better, so there is a little bit of a, a difference in that. Um, but the art is very solid, but it doesn't stand out. Like, I think you know, Jimenez's art in Batman, for example, is really standout and feels kind of special. I wouldn't say the art in this feels special. It's just really solid Green Lantern art, right? It's very solid house-style kind of stuff yeah. uh, for the most part, which, you know, so take that as it is. But I'm into everything that's setting up, and it's been a while since I've been able to get excited about Green Lantern. And, you know, ha- having just dropped Wonder Woman, which has a, been a consistent book for a while uh, for me, I'm really glad that another corner was able to step up and say, hey, we're back to being something you're going to like. So, uh, yeah, yeah well, screw it, I'll give it the nine. Green Lantern issue two. I was into it. Fair it's, enough. It's good stuff. All right, what's, what's your side tangent? Unrelated, I just opened up the, the the next book, Ready, and saw, saw the ad. Oh. Um, I, I didn't really pay attention to the ads earlier. I was skipping past them. Uh, but it's the ad for Future State Gotham, uh, which I was under the impression was going to be the Red Hood book, or at least at first. It's the Star Wars Red Hood, is that? It does. But what I didn't know, or maybe maybe we did know and I'm forgetting, so this is why I'm, why I'm querying. Mm-hmm. It's a new black and white series. It says, uh, it says black and white series featuring the entire Bat family. Well, featuring the entire Bat family, I buy it's just going to cycle through yeah. different characters arc by arc. But I don't remember knowing that that was a black and white series. Did, did you know this? I don't think so. But at the same time, it's... You, I'm, I'm, you're making me sort of doubt myself because I'm not, like, I don't think I knew that. But at the same time, it's not shocking me. So I don't know if that says that. There, there was something that we didn't know that is, is in the back of my it's, head. It's very possible that, that that we did know, and I have completely forgotten. But I just, I just read it then. And I was like, huh, that seems like entirely new information to to my brain. If I could, if, uh, I'm not going to do this, but if I could be bold, this is where I would cut back to the episode where we talked about the solicits where this came up, and there's probably a discussion. I, if, I, if I was to guess, I would say it said black and white in the solicit, and we said, oh, that's probably a mistake, and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's possible. <laughs> that would be my guess, but um, no. Uh, Green Lantern, uh, pleasantly, continually growing in surprise with that. But uh, moving on, the Swamp Thing issue three, Ram V and Mike Perkins on art. And would you believe it? Matt's not here for the issue that brings in multiple poison ivies. Um, mm. <laughs> this. this Sad, sad bit of luck of that. Uh, but yeah, so Jennifer wants to uh, analyze Levi, give him an MRI, and try and like figure out what's going on with him. And be reasonable. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all you know, reasonable stuff. And again, you know, we talk about the coloring in this book a lot, but because it's going to be so drenched in green after this, I love that they made a point of like, okay, we're in the city for like a page or two. Let's do some purples and stuff. You got like two panels at yeah. the top of the page where it's like neon. It almost feels like it's in current Gotham. Yeah. So, I, I like that touch, but, yeah. Um, so, basically, he ends up getting into the green, where, you know, his brain readings start change as the machine's running, and she comes in, there's, like, you know, flowers and foliage and, and just green, you know, <laughs> all over the room. And she ends up getting taken into the green along with him. And it's interesting, because his narration, uh, you know, during that two-page layout with the, the brain changing as it's going into, you know, a seed, effectively. Uh, you know, he, he mentions the red versus the green. You know, we're bringing up those concepts again, which I think is very fascinating. Mm. But 
he ends up in the green and you know obviously the artist here is gorgeous this is you know we've said this before but this book is playing so well to perkin's strength as an artist and he runs into ivy but as we sort of discover throughout the issue this is only part of ivy it's like ivy's kind of like split in two almost and like the more human side of her the more sympathetic side of her is kind of this this first one that he meets uh and then the sort of the, the queen ivy as it were is the more and this plays back into the uh it was the ivy and harley mini i think that me and matt enjoyed uh That's where good. it established these uh you know this split ivy that you've got the more traditional like evil uh, version of ivy going around and the one that's you know in a relationship with harley you know at the same time yeah, well, I think it's the idea that they're, they're, because I'm assuming they're both part of the same person, and it's the almost like her inner psyche and the green at least gets this literally split up and kind of be opposing. Pretty much, views. except except interestingly, not just in the green. It's take, it's taken the plant biology element of it to the extreme and kind of oh, okay. literally split her. Um, I, well, I pre- I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have cared really either way, but I do appreciate in principle that this ties into other Harley or other Ivy things that have been happening. It's not just out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's nice. Or out of the green, as it were. Uh, so, but, you know, she mentions, you know, hopefully, you know, your friend Jennifer doesn't, you know, run into to him. And it's like, there's a tease of like, wait, so she's in here too. But there's a great moment here, uh, just before we get to that, though, where, you know, she mentions, oh, there's, there's, you know, various different things in here to be, you know, frightened of. And they look over like a ridge and there's a full page spread of this giant green slash red monster <laughs> what well, this is uh the woad woes which is a thing in mythology um oh go on not, tell me about not this. usually that big um, oh yeah this is a kaiju this is this is this is a kaiju <laughs> yeah yeah like the the, the woad woes is a, a you know, the, the wild man of the woods usually like a, a satire a fawn yeah it's kind of similar to sylvanus uh you know roman god of the woods the, the wilds pan for the greeks you know, you know the, the, this idea of representing nature and kind of free spirit you know um this uh, is a very different take on it is this just uh because I, I was thinking the face looked kind of almost gorilla-esque at a point and I, I was wondering if this was like a mix of green and red but i wonder if i'm just maybe reading too much into the maybe the, the wood witness of the, the face rather if it's just maybe a, a green thing i think it's supposed to just be a green thing yeah. i could be wrong but i would assume that and the face is more it's like a tree bark yeah no, that's what i'm thinking there it, just, it has a bit of a gorilla look to it uh it does i think it's just the the shape and the way the mm. the almost hair comes down it at the top yeah giant tush though uh i think the you know the the coloring and the shading in the sky uh, the exposed rib cage oh yeah. man so good but then we find out, because this is obviously quite in the distance from them, because they're, you know, seeing this full size. Uh, Jennifer's actually running away from its its footsteps. When we, that's, it's, a nice transition. it's actually a really neat transition to her, because they see this big thing in the distance, then we find out at the foot of this thing is where she is, where she's yeah. ended up. And that first panel of Boudreau sticking his face out behind the tree. This Perkins at his best. Do, do you know what this is? This is... There's a, there's a bit of sadness. This is the the dark character in the woods, the you know the evil character. But there's even just a, it's almost like the the dark swamp thing version of like a Loki. The the way he's just sort of creeping out. I, I think it's really interesting that it's not immediately sinister. Especially yeah, there's, there's, there's a curiosity to it. Yeah, I was gonna say curious. He looks curious. Yeah, but you know, he comes really. 
But he comes out and helps and takes her hand and, you know, offers offers some help. Um, and you know when when she mentions you know the friend that she that brought her here, she's like, oh, another avatar, the green. Uh, you know, he he's he's not completely withholding, but obviously he is withholding some here. He's not being super honest about who he is. Uh, yeah. But yeah, basically, you know, it's unusual for a human to like come through this way, like to enter here and like be here. Um. So, uh, really good. So he offers help, but obviously we know that he's not to be trusted. So we're we're worried for. Her. We're like, oh no, oh no. I wonder how much he's all there. Like, he did help her. He didn't have to. He looked curious, not sinister. Uh, and we see like you know the back of his head at one point, and it's it's not. He's not fully formed. Yeah, it's kind of hollow. And, and when he says, you know, my name is Wood Rue, it's like he's actually thinking about it. Like, like there's hesitation. Like, you know, maybe he doesn't fully know everything himself right now. I would definitely say the look in his face at the end of that page, though, is sinister. That way he's smiling yes. definitely has that feel to it. And I, I think, yeah, I think it's curiosity at first, but I think when he realizes she's come through with a new Swamp thing, I do think there's at least a sinister intention from that point on. They're like, you know, he's like, he's realized what's fallen into his lap and he's like, oh, I will yeah. offer you help now. It's that, that panel I said where you can see the back yeah. of his head. He's like, you know, looking, you know, it's a side profile and, you know, fingers on the chin, deep in thought. It's like, hmm, could it be? You know, he's, he's got the, you know, the evil ideas that spring to mind. Yeah. Uh, there we cut to uh, the Queen Ivy. That's what I'm just calling her that because she's got like a sort of almost crown-esque quality. She's sat on a throne as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's technically the term they've been using, but that's what I'm calling her. <laughs> Now we'll uh, go with it. And, you know, she's just kind of... I'm not pissed, but very critical of the other Ivy for bringing Swamp Thing here and, you know, offering help and all the rest of it. Um, But, yeah. But, you know, it obviously adds to this this layer here where she's talking to Swamp Thing about accepting the green and, you know, giving up his humanity. And she's, like, sort of, like, talking about her own humanity, which is represented with this other version of herself. So, and the same, you know, it's, it's kind of, like... Her split is the literal version of what he's kind of dealing with, and it's not so much that the personality traits actually match at all. It's not. It's not like the Swamp Thing is as villainous as maybe Queen Ivy is out of the two Ivies, but the idea that there's two entities, there's two personalities at work here that are kind of yeah. sharing a, a coexistence, and yeah, uh, some really, you know, proper horror stuff with Ivy like having vines coming up and attacking him, and there being the the giant. Uh, the Venus trap style thing that's huge, uh, in the ground, all that stuff. Uh, they're just Perkins is getting to like really flex with the uh, the fantastical art and the monsters. Yeah, it's real good stuff. But you know, but then the the human Ivy, you know, the more sympathetic Ivy's like, no, but you're hurting. I'm the one you're hurting now, and this kind of mm-hmm. snaps. Just on this Ivy, I I love what they've done with the lettering for this Ivy. It kind of it narrows as it goes through each line and it kind of goes up and down and it's a bit wavy and it just feels she's not all there, right? It gives this impression. Yeah. Even though even the wavy speech bubble does that as well. But I think it's quite clear the point in here where, you know, where the, the human Ivy, uh, again, I just mean sympathetic Ivy, uh, she, she's the one who says, no, but you're hurting me now and this makes her back down. And even the look in Queen Ivy's face when she realizes she's hurting the human side, it's the idea that both of them are important for for the the whole to exist, like they both need to sort of help keep each other in check, um, yeah, and that's kind of an important part of it. So, 
yeah. So, but you know, Swamp Thing kind of like breaks off the vines. Almost, he almost looks like there's fire around him, and he says, "You know, we're not all as weak as you think." And mm-hmm. this kind of shocks her. Anyway, this, this is maybe part of the power of the green. He's finally harnessed, and he's finally realizing the power of being the guardian and being Swamp Thing, accepting some of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have the the figure who appears out of the shadow and the pink light. And he says, calm down, leave it. Because, you know, he's about to go supernova, essentially, <laughs> something. And this figure says, calm down, Levi. And the final page, the, the reveal... Uh, well, it's actually, it's not the final page, sorry. But it's, it felt like the final page, because it's it a big reveal. It's a full page spread of Alec Holland saying, you know, I'm Alec Holland, I used to be you. Let me explain how this works. Let me sort of gauge you and give you some... And this is a, a neat thing. I, I, I think we all expected Alec Holland in some form to appear mm-hmm. in this, this story. Uh, to sort of transition things but um i think alec because there was such a struggle of alec like is he swamp thing does the swamp thing just think he's alec hall and all the turns and all the the, the the turbulence and turmoil that he went through over the years as the tragic monster there is something kind of fascinating about a coherent alec holland who is at peace been able to like just sort of calmly give advice to the new guardian and on something that was very similar to his struggles but also yeah. you know, a little bit unique as well there's a, there's a certain awareness, uh, like a, you know, an almost Hulk-esque transformation here, as opposed to, is there a man underneath at all, or you know, am I just nothing? Yeah. Um, so, and it's interesting that Alex says that you know Jennifer's safe for now. Like he's not worried about what Woodrow's going to do, and I don't know if that's just because woodrow's more trustworthy or more just because he knows that he's going to plan something so she's not in danger because woodrow sees value in her so there's nothing to worry about yet woodrow sees her as bait i assume yes uh so no it's a really good thing but uh it sets up the threat of the 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 arc this the threat of what the series seemingly is going to be is that there is a contagion spreading through the green and this is the, the key thing that he's going to have to save and solve uh in this story i would expect so yeah, good stuff. Um, Another fantastic issue. It's a fantastic issue. It may be my least favourite of the three, but that's not saying much. I don't, I, I'm not trying to say anything negative about it. I'm just saying those first two were so close to perfect that this just being amazing <laughs> is slightly a step down. That's fair. Uh, it's Oh, it's so good, though. Like... And the art is just getting to excel. Like, you know, we, you know, we've said on this before, but Perkins, I understand why some people don't like his art, especially in other books, but this is the book that, that he was born for. Like This style, this is just like, no, no, this is what he can do. Yeah. And it's just playing to that, and it's every panel is fantastic. Usually, in a, in a Perkins book, two or three times at least in an issue, I'll look at it and go, well, yeah, there's, there's something here that's just not not sitting right, and there's just none of that here. I want season two, so everyone buy this book. Everyone buy Swamp Thing. What are you, yeah. uh, what are you rating Swamp Thing? I'm giving it a nine. Yeah, I'm also giving it a, a nine. That's easy peasy. You know what? It's the funny. I was, nine is the weakest issue of the three. I was being asked uh, on stream just the other day about, you know, do you feel like you're not reading enough of what DC's putting out? And I was like, what are you talking about? Percentage wise, I think I'm reading most of what they're putting out. Just, you know, Suicide Squad, maybe Teen Titans and like Harley and whatever. And, but the, the key point that I got to was though that it's like, you know, even when I've only got four or five books a week, like, it really is quality over quantity right now for the most part. 
Like, of all the things I'm reading, there's almost nothing. Flash might be the only exception I can think of where I'm out of the main line, where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm being optimistic and it's not maybe not hitting there yet, but I hope it gets there. Like, everything else is mostly just impressing me. <laughs> so, Yeah, like, I wasn't here last week, but, you know, Detective is continuing. That's nicely. Great. Yeah. Uh, action starring its story doing world, world stuff absolutely fantastic i said last week that that is the best issue of either of his books since you know since the best of his future state like this is the this is the first time in the main run where i felt that feeling again whereas oh that we're getting to the real good stuff I, I think that's, I've, I've obviously enjoyed the two issues before and the superman issue uh but out of the four issues so far i, I agree this is probably the best one it's so good um you know i'm, I'm enjoying wonder woman me and matt are a lot uh, so the books that that we're reading, we're generally really positive about, especially these ones with new teams. So yeah, uh, things are good. So I'm saying things are, things are actually pretty good. So we'll move on to the next thing: Man Bat issue four, Dave uh, Vilagos and Summit Kumar uh, on the art. So this is the penultimate issue of this mini series. And we left last issue with Manbat and the wife being held captive by Scarecrow and being brainwashed to continue working on his sonic fear device or subliminal subliminal device, whatever the exact uh, term is. And yeah, I don't, know, this, I don't know if it's ever quite lived up to that first issue, which felt really, really tight. But I, I think it's been doing a relatively good job of exploring things. I think this issue being the issue where they are held captive. They're in this kind of like, you know, dollhouse. I think they call it. Where yeah. they are they're seeing this perfect living environment where they're having a happy marriage and experimenting and stuff during the day. But when we actually see it, it's all kind of you know a worn down building that looks like shit and whatever. I, I mean, to the point where uh, she's seeing him as him, not as Manbat. Yeah, uh, and it's you know it's I I, I I think that stuff all is fairly good. I I also like the idea that. The inner man bat actually knows this is all fake and he's trying to convince Kirk, hey, this isn't real. We have to fight back. We have to fight. And it's sort of, it gives you this weird sympathy or at least this a connection with the man bat entity himself. We were like, yeah, at, at the end of the day, he still actually wants to save Kirk. He wants to save the wife. He's not trying to like throw them under the bus. He's not, He's. I mean, I don't want to say never been villainous, but in this story has never been villainous. Yeah. He's done things that have crossed the line, but usually still with good intentions. I will say this, is that obviously it's partly this is because Batman's doing a much better Scarecrow story, and Scarecrow in that book looks absolutely wonderfully terrifying. But there's a moment in the, the two-page spread at the start of this where uh, it's the title page, and it's describing you know what this world actually looks like or who invented it. And it gets to Scarecrow and it says, you know, built by a wicked mind. And the panel of Scarecrow is so old-school cartoony that I don't think the art quite matches up with the image of Scarecrow that they're describing. And I think that's a bit of a disconnect. Um, I think that's a little bit of a problem where... Because we know this this was drawn and finished, mm-hmm. you know, like a long time ago, like a year ago. Uh, and there's a disconnect where they were still, you know, we want you to use this design, uh, you know, because we haven't updated to the new stuff yet. Uh, and this is just kind of how it looks, I guess, kind of where I got stuck with because of what the design was at the time. Yeah, I mean, the design's one thing, but I think the art as well. Like, it's doing a much better job with Man Bat of going for the tragic monster and the art, whereas I feel like the Scarecrow just looks a 
it just looks like old school and cartoony and it just it doesn't really fit the narrative in terms of what they're saying scarecrow is i so. think uh, i'm really enjoying scarecrow properly having the hat and the straw back um and he has it in that panel but i think for the uh, and i don't think it works that well there the rest of the issue when you see him and it's just the burlap sack i think looks a lot better in this particular book i think he looks a lot more sinister there's those panels uh, there's, there's the panel where it's the close-up after he's like he's, he's, he's went and talked to the the, the langstroms and man bat attacks him but he kind of explains it away and sort of resets the uh or at least man bat recedes and like kurt comes back and doesn't know why he attacked him uh when he comes out and talks to his henchmen who are deaf for the record all his henchmen are deaf because of what happened in issue one um there's a close-up panel of his face where it's just him smiling and he does look quite sinister on that panel uh mm. yeah so there are examples of it working but there's definitely times where it just feels a little bit too kind of it's just a bit too i don't know i, I don't want to say cartoony again but like i guess kid friendly I, I get where you're coming from a, a bit too light yeah uh batman beats up some thugs to demand to know uh you know where all this is happening um and man bat himself actually snaps uh francine out of it and sort of makes her realize where they actually are and basically makes this pact with her it's this really interesting thing where she's not talking to her husband she's talking to man bat and man bat saying look i'm like kirk would hate it if i left you behind or didn't like get you out of this mess so i'm going to get you out of this mess but i did kind of like the weird like third person element to it where it's not Kirk she's talking to. This is Man Bat she's talking to. Yeah, there's a point where she's like, can I speak to him? Like, say goodbye? I think, and, and he's like, no, he wouldn't have the, the, the courage to, to, to say goodbye. Yeah. So, it's just interesting her talking to Man Bat as if Man Bat's like a mutual friend <laughs> between her and her husband. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic, which, and it's, that's kind of where the book mostly excels at. Uh, so, sure enough, Batman comes down uh, to get in the fight. Man Bat's getting in the fight as well. There's some action sequences. Um, one of the henchmen whose hearing's gone threatens to destroy the cure. Because, I mean, we didn't even mention in the course of this issue that, you know, Man Bat, you know, Kirk is dying. <laughs> like, that's something that's been brought up in the previous issues. And there is a, a potential cure. This henchman's going to destroy it. But Batman batarangs the, the case out of his hand. It seems like it's going to be okay. However... During all this chaos, uh, some of Scarecrow's newer, more potent toxin and subliminal messages get to Batman. So Batman's got red eyes, and the idea being is that this doesn't really change who you are, but it makes you give in to your worst instincts and goes like you know you go you turn up to a hundred on them basically. So so Batman goes full militant. You're a monster. You're a criminal. I have to take you down no matter what kind of attitude. So he looks proper monstrous coming towards Man Bat. Uh, and then Man Bat takes the, the only se- thing he can. <laughs> yeah, he takes the serum. Uh, and did we know this was based on Venom before now? Or nope. is, this, is this a I reveal? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think this was a reveal where he pulls it and turns out the thing that's going to save him is Venom. So the final panel of this book, uh, what, what the issue is calling King Batman, or sorry, King Man Bat, uh, it's, it's basically Venomized Man Bat. So he looks like Man Bat Hulk. <laughs> I, I love the lettering here because, you know, Batman goes, oh, you think that scares me? And he goes, it should. And then it completely breaks free of the bubbles and the text is just huge. You know, for, you know the, for the final line, you know, the night no longer belongs to you. Yeah. Uh, 
loved that stuff. It's a solid miniseries. It's just one of these things where it's, it's almost a disservice to it that it's, it's just, it's going up against really good books right now. So it's coming off being kind of the lower tier book out of everything, but it's just perfectly sure, I think this will make a great trade that, you know, hey, you want a Mambat story? Here you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think this has been really solid. I mean, it was kind of the one thing I was least looking forward to reading this week, because that's just where it is in the hierarchy in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, good it's stuff. good. Yeah, I, this is the thing. It goes back to the quality over quantity. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm still going to give it an 8. I'm going to give it 7.5. I think it's just because I think the art, there's a, a, there is a conflict between what some of the art is and what the text is telling me in terms of its stuff. But the ideas are cool. I really like the uh, the man bat being a separate character and like you know talking to Francine and trying to get them out of the situation and operating independently, but in a kind of semi heroic way, which just adds a lot of interesting uh, dynamics to it. So and and this here at the end that even though he's taken venom and is huge and seems pretty villainous because he's man bat, he's he's actually kind of doing the right thing in a lot of ways because Batman is the one as 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 he put him, Batman is compromised. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a chance at the end of this, depending on how he handles the situation, Batman, when he's got his clear head, may actually thank him or may acknowledge that he did the right thing. Potentially, it, it just depends mm-hmm. how, you know, depends how many how much collateral damage there is in the it, fight. It, it, <laughs> it, it definitely depends on what happens in the final issue, but it's not yes. out of the realm of possibility at this point. So, oh, all right, there you go. That's Man Bat issue four. The next Batman Second Son issue two, John Ridley, John Ridley writing, if I can say that name properly, and Tony Aikens on the art. Uh, so this is digital chapters four, five, and six, which is actually how I read it. But in order to give us the enough to talk about and give us a full issue worth of uh, discussion, this is how we're doing the book as the physical issues come out. So me and Matt talked about the last one. Uh, obviously here, uh, we're going to talk about these three chapters. Um, You're I, going to talk about these three chapters. I, I didn't get time. Oh, come on. Look. It's Thursday. <laughs> this, the, the, the slacking, this, the absolute slacking of the slackiness. All right. So, um, the sister, Tam, she, she fainted end of uh, last issue. That was a big cliffhanger. And what was funny is that it tur- I, I discover in this, this chapter that th- this original poison incident that left her compromised and is what, uh, and what she's relapsing on was something the rat catcher did in volume five of Batwing. So while I've not read that, I do appreciate that it is actually keeping Luke Fox like history as part I of its thing. Vaguely remember that arc, but God, I couldn't have told you any details about it. Yeah, that's kind of wild. There's a neat thing in the art here actually, where uh, Luke again being kind of a dick towards towards Jace. Uh, he says environmental causes cause this. You know, it's not like she's been poisoned again or anything like that. It's just that something may have caused this, some sort of change. And he says environmental causes. So something changed in her life that's different. And it's like, this is like three horizontal, like wide panels, but this bottom one's got a split. It's the same image basically, but it's just split. There's a panel split. And then on the other side of his face, Jace is there. And uh, Luke in that bubble just says some something that wasn't around before that caused stress she couldn't handle. So he's implying, the art makes it clear that he's implying that Jace is the reason why she's having a relapse because he's blaming him for everything. Um, so... Really interesting stuff. And then the younger sister, the 13-year-old one, is uh, in shock. Uh, Jace gets mad at Luke because Luke's like... Oh, no, it's not Luke, sorry. Lucius. 
Because Lucius is saying, ah, oh, whatever it costs, we'll take care of it, you know, whatever it costs, we'll pay everything. So, and just, oh yeah, money solves everything. But I think one of the things I was impressed about reading the, 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 the last issue of this was that how tied into continuity it is. Because we started the, the plotline of Montoya becoming commissioner, which is now, like, mainstay in all the Bat books. Like, this is really baked in what's going on in the Bat world. And here we have her hiring two new detectives. She promotes two uh, uniformed cops to detective. Uh, and I think one of them, if I'm remembering correctly, is the cop that uh, Jace calls for help in Future State. I think this is uh, one of them. Was that was that Chubbs, I want to say, was, was the name? Yeah, I couldn't remember. I think yeah, that was sorry. sorry. I'd have to go back and check it, but I, I think that's what's happening here. But it's two cops. It's her and... um um. What was the other name? Uh, Whitaker. Uh, so Chubb and Whitaker uh, get promoted. And this is, again, a through line that's uh, in all three of these digital chapters that goes through this physical issue where they're given their badges and they get their first assignment coming up. Um, so I, I do like that it's building some subplots with some, some supporting cast that is important outside of the family. But, you know, uh, Jace gets informed about the, the, all this shady stuff that he's investigating. So he goes to like look at the uh, mysterious people getting off a plane and he almost gets caught, but he gets out of dodge. He's told by his partner, by uh, Vol, that basically, like, you don't have the tech or the resources to actually properly search for these people. So this is where him, like, realizing, oh, all that fancy tech, uh, Fox tech. Um, so, th- so this chapter actually ends with him getting a job uh, working for his father. So he's got access to the building and access into places. But... Yeah, but the, the other interesting thing that happens here, though, is that the little sister, she, uh, basically, she's upset, and she demands that something be done about it. Um, you know, rat catchers behind this, you know, like, someone should do something about this. Like, and I, I never read this story, but this does a good job of kind of ex- getting across why she's so hurt by this, because she had to watch this happen. She watched her sister be tortured and be poisoned, and... She says, you know, yeah, it's time to do something. And Luke says, I don't know what I... And then she says, not you, him, do something. And, like, his suit comes on. And then we get, like, a full panel of him, you know, flying off in his Batwing suit. So, it's a really nice uh, tease for that. So, that's the first chapter. And to be fair, the digital chapters, they all are formatted to have a cliffhanger. They all have, like, what feels at the end of a chapter. But... What's neat is that they kind of work as well as in these batches of three, because I think the through line of that that part of the story, how the little sister is looking at Luke and Jace in that through line is a through line through all three of these chapters. So it actually works really well as a single reading experience as well, uh, even though there are clear divides in what the, the three chapters are. Um, you know, we, we have the, you know, uh, Lucius and his wife talking about what Jace is up to and why he's working at the company and what's weird about that. Uh, and again, so as much as last issue was setting up that she has influence over Luke, this issue sets up that she has influence over Jace because she talks about how this social media guy like takes photos of people who are injured or stuff, of like celebrities, because it gets some cred on Instagram or whatever they call it. Uh, I think it's just called Insta. I guess it's, it's Insta. Or the social, or something. Whatever they call it. Just enough that, presumably, that they can get away with. Yeah, pretty much. But anyway, so, so their, their comatose sister pops up on this, and she's mad about it. And what's funny is that Jace actually plays the big brother card here and says, no, you can't let this get to you. 
going for revenge wouldn't change anything like that kind of thing you know the, the world has a way of fixing itself but as soon as she leaves the room he calls he calls vol and is like hey get me information on this prick this is on, on social media i want to track him down so he and he does he tracks him down and like seemingly saves him from some thugs but then like you know crushes his hand and says like that's it you're off social media or i'm coming back <laughs> and uh you know so it's showing that he has his faults that he does have this temper and he, he preaches something, but he, he does let the anger get the better of him and sort of separate himself from it. Whereas Luke, as Batwing, is going after Ratcatcher. Uh, and we we have um, Montoya with the, the cops and, like, basically giving them the, the whole anti-mask thing that they're going through. Uh, and they're very hesitant, these two new cops, they're, 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 these two new detectives, I should say. They're very hesitant. Like, uh... Chubb's there to do their, you know, whatever they're being told and is very, like, doesn't necessarily like it, but is like, nah, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. But, uh, you know, the other guy, Whitaker, he, he's kind of like, eh, like, things will go back to the way they were, like, we're going to need the mass eventually, this is, you know, this is just a, a phase, effectively. And let's face it, as a, as a cynical comic reader, he's right. <laughs> like, we're going to get back to status quo in Gotham at some point, there's no doubt about that. So this character, I guess, resonates a little bit because of that. Um, so you, you have that side of things. You have the rat, ca- rat catcher side of things where with the cliffhanger of the, the, this chapter, this digital chapter, is rat catcher having an army of teenagers uh, all wielding weapons um, coming after Batwing. And that's obviously leads to kind of an interesting fight in the last third because... He doesn't really want to punch kids in the face. Like, you know, he, he doesn't want to injure children. Well, that's so, good. So, you know, Luke, yeah, I mean, he's say what you want about Luke Fox. He's not... He doesn't put, he's not at the punching kids level. He doesn't put kids in the hospital, yeah. He's not He's not that guy, at the very least. So, yeah, so so we have this fight scene. There's like a sort of gun and a sort of... Like a turret on, like, tank treads that come in. Because, you know, of course, why, why wouldn't there be? They're, they're, they're inventive. But... Yeah, we we have uh, like a sniper as well. He like shoots through his tech. Um, it's all a bit because the sniper's kind of important. They emphasize the sniper because she's like a very distinctive blonde girl. Because she kind of also comes back at the end and like picks up the rat catcher mask after. Uh, I don't think we get a clear shot if the rat catcher's actually been killed, but presumably could be because of everything that goes down. Because as this is going on, the police get wind that there's been shots fired in the, in the tunnels underground, so they all kind of gear up and are like, okay, let's go. Uh, our two new detectives are like talking about how they need to have bulletproof vests, although it may not do a whole lot because people down there are quite vicious, and if they really want to kill you, they're going to do it uh, in whatever way. So, but, yeah, um, so there's a lot of good action. There's a lot of good action in this, this third chapter. Uh... You know, when the police come in, they basically just yell open fire. It's, it's, it's pretty much a, a thing. Um, yeah, so the, the rat catcher does get hit. Um, I mean, honestly, this may be a case where she, she may be shot in the head, and she definitely is dead. And it's more about just the fact that they didn't want to show it be too violently. So I'm saying that there's room for her to be alive. Because her mask gets knocked off. But I'm wondering if it's just because they're not wanting to show blood. Because I, I think that's what makes me think that it's not a death. Okay. So, I don't know. so she may be dead. Yeah. She may be dead. 
but then the part of the roof collapsed because all this this the shooting and explosion going on uh and it's all this kind of case thing uh someone asked if rat catcher's going to make it and the person says uh do i care you know he's a mask um wait is Ratcatcher a guy Ratcatcher is de- Ratcatcher in this issue definitely looked female to me. You know, maybe not. Maybe as a guy, but yeah, it says he's a mask, and maybe it shows you that some of the, the tide is turning and like how people are viewing uh, masks in Gotham. The, the, the rhetoric that's coming out of uh, the mayor's office, uh, and you know what's been told to the the police department is starting to sink in with some of them, and uh, maybe that we're really developing something. But Luke Fox is escaping the scene of the crime. And runs into Whitaker. And Whitaker holds him at gunpoint and then holds his gun up and says, I wasn't here, neither were you, and lets him go. So Whitaker's definitely someone who's an ally to uh, the, the Bats still, in some way. Uh, so the end uh, of, of this part of it is uh, her, the, the, the blonde sniper girl, like picking up the rat catcher mask. And that's the thing, there's a, there's a crack in the, you know, in the glass of the, the mask, you know, where the eyes go, right? But it yeah. doesn't look as a hole to me. It just looks like a crack, like something hit it, but it doesn't look like something went through it. Okay, I get what you're saying. So, again, I'm not convinced there was an actual death. Uh, there, there may not have been. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe he just got injured from the fall. You know, his, the mass stopped the bullet, but the, the impact like, caused him to get knocked over. And then the fall is what actually did the damage that's put him in, like, medical dire straits. <laughs> I don't know. It's not impossible. It's also equally not impossible that it's just a, an art flub and didn't make it, they didn't make it, it clear enough. It could be. I mean, maybe that's the, the point here is that maybe it's not clear enough. Uh, and I... I wasn't really thinking about it too much when I read it. It's only just now that I'm kind of, you know, working through it and breaking it down and looking at it and going, yeah, I'm actually kind of a little confused as to whether or not Ratcatcher actually died here, but the implication of like someone picking up the mask as if it's almost like they might become the new Ratcatchers, certainly indicative. But I mean, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe that stuff's a little bit messy. The action is mostly pretty good though. Uh, I kind of liked that all, all the the beats that were set up because if you remember, so if, to, to break this out of the three digital chapters, the first one in this issue ended with you have to do something, Luke, as Batwing. So he goes off to try and find things. And then the end of the second issue is the, the cliffhanger of, like, the, the fight really starting. And in the meantime, we've had the cops, these two new detectives, been introduced. And in the third part of this chapter, all of these things converge. So it does actually really work well as a single issue because there's these through lines that all converge in the last act of it, if you will. Do you think that was planned or just happy coincidence? I think, I'm going to say it was planned and give them and, and give uh, Ridley some cred here because... Me and Matt also said about issue one that those three chapters did feel kind of like they worked as an issue. And the, the cliffhanger at the end of the, the third chapter, at the end of that first physical issue, did work really well and feel like the biggest cliffhanger of the three. So okay, I do think there's maybe, at least where possible, there is a, an attempt to make them feel like distinct. I, I'm not disputing that he has the ability to plan these things at all. It was more yeah. just a... Do you think when they were writing it, they knew it would be, this is one issue and we're going to split into three neat chapters like this? Or maybe it was written as one issue and got restructured. They kind of had to move some pages around to kind of make it work as three separate things. I I, I don't know. 
yeah. So, uh, so Luke comes back and has to tell his little sister that, uh, like he, he wasn't able to get anything from Ratcatcher, and she's like, "You didn't get the cure, did you? You messed up." And the final page of this this book, uh, which neatly bookends the the, the three chapters of this physical issue because. Start of the physical issue, it was them hearing about, you know, the older sister, uh, Tam, and Luke braming Jace. This final page has the little sister, Tiffany, run past Luke and hug Jace instead. So the final panel is just a plain white background with Luke watching as she's hugging the other brother. <laughs> the, the one who he hates right now. Um, so, you know, lying in the sand. Yeah, so it, it's a really solid trio of chapters i think the um the overall way it's tied into continuity and the way it's building up some of the more like the street level police side of things to go along with the main bat books is is really cool uh, and i think it's done a good job of developing these main characters uh so um i'm digging that um like i say i was a little unclear about you know the death or not death of Ratcatcher. um the the sentence is is he going to make it would certainly imply that not dead yet at the very least but uh, agreed it was a little conflicting in the moment um so other than the fact that I completely thought Ratcatcher was a lady I and to, in my defense and if anyone says that but was Ratcatcher a lady before I I didn't think she or he was either but this is a sort of thing where I'm not sure which version of Ratcatcher we're on like for all I know Ratcatcher's was replaced. It's a different person, yeah. yeah. Well, because, you know, it was it was from Batwing run, so I thought, oh, maybe they introduced a new Ratcatcher in that book, I don't know. It's very possible, and that was a long time ago now, so why would you remember, if you even read that? I didn't read that, and, because it's not like Ratcatcher looks like traditional Ratcatcher. Yeah. Uh, which is why I'm like, okay, it's a different version, so whatever. Uh, which, I mean, yeah, not so anyway, it was it was very much, hey, it's New 52, right? Let's do a new version. Yeah, lots of things were changed like that, so... um. Not to just defend my stupid mistake, because it was just my stupid mistake, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, the, all of it seemed plausible enough that I never questioned it until the, the one line where someone whipped out the pronouns, so... Uh, there you go. Um, now, Solid Trio, um, I, I probably just give this, this batch straight eight, I think, overall. Um, but I, I think it has been a nice... Nicely in continuity, feels like a... feels like a worthwhile addition to like if you're, if you're into like current dc continuity and you like to read the different like areas of it and you like the next batman stuff in future state it doesn't feel like a throwaway digital thing it feels like it's just as valid as any other ongoing book uh just in this annoyingly different format it's good to know though yeah uh because like i said i'd still rather have just full sized comic pages but you yeah. know whatever um so hey there you go next batman second son issue two uh so next up uh, we got a couple of patreon books uh so let's uh knock these out uh connor's going to talk about harley quinn issue one <sighs> with your, i am indeed your favorite artist riley rosmo yes stephanie phillips writing um but that part, that, part to... that part's not funny though stephanie phillips has no humor associated so no <laughs> lots of humor in the book from from her writing though oh, i imagine there is yeah uh, I would like just if you do me a favor, just humor me here for a mm -hmm. moment. If you could go to the Comicsology page for this issue and look at the preview pages, I've, I'm going to reference something in a minute, and I want you to okay. to have it there and, and see. All right. Uh, but 
just the the general premise of this book. I'm going to start essentially in the middle of this issue because uh, it tells me what the book is going to be. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of the issue. Harley gets home. She get, you know, she's like, oh, hang on, that window wasn't open. Someone's about, and it is, a, of course, Batman. Batman's coming and checking up on her, and he looks over at the wall and he's like, what the hell is this? And um, she's got like a murder board style thing on the wall, you know, all the pictures and articles with all the, the red thread. Um, basically, she has a list of everyone who she has uh, offended in Gotham. As Batman points out, it's a long list. And she is going to make amends with all of them. That's that's the plan for this book, okay. is Harley making amends with all of the, all of the people in Gotham. Because... Even though her record, you know, she's officially clean and not a criminal anymore because of the the Suicide Squad stuff that that got done. Uh, but yeah, uh, and uh, just to flashback, the issue actually opens with her uh, trying to apologize to Croc. She yeah, she has baked a, a cake that says "I'm sorry," and it's literally you know Croc. It opens with Croc like throwing her into it, and she's like, "Oh, do you have any idea how long it takes to find gluten free flour in this city?" Because why would, you know, and what, how could a crocodile even be gluten intolerant? Mildly amusing. First big art problem I had, uh, beyond just the general look, is on the second page. Um, this is where I've got the yeah, everyone at home, play along if you haven't got the issue. Comicsology previews, it'll be there. It's this double page spread. And uh, I read this in the wrong order. I was very confused. Because there's a bit at the top, and in the top left, it's really normal. She's you know she's swinging a bat and kicking at Croc, and fine. It's a big you know he says get out Harley, and then you move down, and there's a panel sticking up in the middle that uh, that I think it says you know all I wanted is is the start of that panel. That is where my eyes started to read, because that is sticking up, and you know from where I was, I, I go down the page. That's where that is completely the wrong place. It turns out to read. Turns out you have to pretend the page is split quite linearly in two and go from the very bottom left after, after the top half to the bottom left where it's uh, Croc's face being hit by the baseball bat and then move your way back across the to, you know, left to right as normal. Which is fine. And then I'm, I'm all for inventive panel layouts. There's actually one later I'm going to compliment. But this one here because of the, the placement of it, it's actually really murky um, and, and leads you to, to read it the wrong place. Or was this just me? Like When you glance at this, Pete, do you see that that sticks up quite far and where your eyes... Um, it's an awkward one because if in doubt, I would just go to the bottom left and just sort of go horizontal. I agree it's sticking out enough, but the weird thing about it is is that I can't see where it f where it would flow from that if you do jump to that one that's sticking out. Like, how do you then work your way back round to the bottom? That was my left? problem because I read that and yeah. because I was on the top and I got down. You know, get out, Harley, and my eyes went down and it came to that really neatly. And that does quite naturally flow right down into the next panel. And then I was like, I got into the second panel. I was like, hang on a second, this isn't leading. I thought maybe it was doing something inventive where it was going to loop back around. Um. But then I realised, no, it's it's not going to loop back around. This is just the wrong place, and my eyes have, have fooled me. I mean, I agree it's sticking out, but uh, I mean, I can't actually read the dialogue here because the, the the preview size of the two page spread is even small on yeah, the single yeah. page. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I agree it's sticking out, but I, uh, that's... Yeah. No, that's all right. It was just, it was very frustrating for me because just the, the placement of that one panel completely threw me. And I'm like, I'm on the second page and I'm already struggling with art layouts. It's like, oh, this is not a good sign. Uh, it was, it was rough. Um, honestly, though, if this wasn't Rosmon art, this issue would be like absolutely fantastic. The, uh, the Harley voice is great. There's lots of Harley trying to, again, trying to be good, trying to be the hero. Uh, when Batman's in her apartment, um, she's like, so, uh, about the money. And he's like, what? He's like, you know, the, the bat check, you know, the, the allowance, whatever, whatever you call it. And he's like, and she, and he's like what, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, come on. We all know you're giving Robin and Batgirl cash, you know, to get them all going. I, I'm, I'm Bat family now. I, I want some of that action. And he's just like, that's not how this works. And then in mid-sentence, he cuts off and turns around. He's like, you know, Oracle? Uh, you know, you know, amusement you know, something's going on, obviously. And Harley's just there going, who are you talking to? Do you hear the voices too? And it's just, just like little bits like that. It's like, oh, this is great. And it's like, yeah, Batman's like, oh, I'm headed there now. And she's like, oh, oh, trouble. Let me get my stuff. And then you just see Batman's cape diving out the window. And Harley's like, all right, I'll meet you there. It's like there's lots of just really smart dialogue that I'm just like, it's it's a really natural flow. It feels great, and it's like I'm really enjoying that stuff. And then everyone has stupid faces and bodies and proportions, and it's ugly. And and there's ugly layouts like that first one that I dislike. Now, one of the layouts I will give credit for is Batman shows up at Amusement Mile to kind of shut down what's going on. Basically, there's people who are who were jokers in the joker war stuff they kind of took on with that and it's uh you know civilians kind of recognizing tattoos and being like hey i'm gonna get my own back on them kind of you know it's started a bit of a riot basically and then they end up once batman tries to intervene and show down they end up fighting batman as well um but there is a panel it's about two-thirds of a page where batman's like oh they're fighting me now and it's like a tall Batman just silhouette. Uh, on the outside of it, there's just, you know, a little bit like, you know, typical, almost like cartoon fight smoke. You know, when, you, know, when you have like a lot of characters like tumbling together and you just see the, the fog. Um, it's doing that uh, around him with like, you know, a little bit of fighting, but then inside the silhouette is split into like three or four panels of Batman taking them down in a bit more clarity with like this blood red background. Uh, I thought that was a really nice touch. That layout was really inventive, and I liked it. Um, it's just a shame about is it just the faces, Harley's face, which is really important in a Harley book. It's just so ugly. And Harley's legs, like, they're, they're, they're just so stick-thin at the end. Like, they're normal legs, and then the ends are literally, like, points. Like, she's walking on... Joe, you, um, you know the, the first Kingsman film? The, mm. uh, the evil woman who was, like... Oh, she's on like the the stilts, like thing. the blades. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. They look like that. That's what her legs look like. It's just, it's so bizarre. Like just seeing that all the time. Um, it just, it ruins such a potentially good book. But anyway, you know, the the, the big thing at the end is the the reveal of who the villain of the book is going to be because Carly's the hero, so there has to be a villain. Uh, and it's going to be Hugo Strange. Um, 
and he's behind the clowns in the streets. It seems you know he's 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 onto something. Uh, you know, we don't know what his plan is yet. It's literally just like the other, the final reveal is Hugo Strange is in on this. Um, but there is a, there is a little nice bit when when Harley gets home when she was talking about all the the bat allowance, you know, whatever. She's like, you know, I want to refurnish this place, get it all going, you know, and you know, I want, oh, I want bat gear, on bat toaster. And when she gets home after this, there is a toaster on the floor with a bat logo on that presumably Batman has left her. Uh, and that's the stuff where it feels really in continuity, like this this weird relationship that's going on between you know, Bruce and Harley right now, where we've been enjoying it a lot in Batman. And that feels like it's extending into this book really naturally. Uh, and, and that's what makes this a very different Harley book to what we've had before. Uh, it's not just her off on her own doing wacky zany things. This is very much in keeping with Harley Quinn in Gotham trying to be better. Uh, and and, and there's, a, there's a big appeal to that. Uh, overall, I can't give it any more than a 6.5. Oh, given it's Ros that's actually quite a high score. I, that's how good the writing is. Like, this is damn good. Like, if this was an artist I liked, this would probably be, like, hitting, like, high eights, maybe a nine. Like, okay. it's, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to talk about Animal Man issue eight, I believe uh, I am now discussing. Um... So, final thing about this issue, well, actually, just a minor note. Uh, last issue ended with like a, like, it was like a blast of like you know negative light as Animal Man was flying in the air. It was kind of this weird shock cliffhanger ending. Someone did actually uh, clarify what this was. This is like DC continuity stuff. This was uh, the 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 the, the meta bomb thing from Invasion, was it? Uh, Invasion, yeah, yeah, around this time. So it's not really explained in this. So I'm glad someone told me that. Um, okay. He, he does mention his powers are acting up and they're kind of not working right now in this issue. So that is clearly this is going to be a thing. But I've I've not actually read Invasion, but I'm assuming that the fix that gives everyone their powers back happens in that book. Is that I'm correct? Assuming so it's, yeah. been, it's been a while. I think I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just good to know that. So for a few issues, he's going to have no powers, <laughs> and then I'm assuming he'll have them back again. Uh at some point yeah i i don't think it'll be too long then because invasion was only like three issues yeah so three issues at most i would expect but uh so there's a prologue here it's a close-up of a computer computer screen someone's typing a, a quote right and it's sort of uh so you see most of the quote at first was the at start but then it's sort of you know you see at the end of typing who the quote's by at the end so it's an einstein quote it says i cannot believe that god plays dice with the cosmos uh, and it comes back again at the end. There's like three epilogues, and the final epilogue is this, and it's just someone responding to this saying, no, but I do, to tease whoever, whichever villainous entity is up to something, which is... A good tease. It's a good tease. Um, so Buddy wakes up, uh, he's all excited because he's part of Justice League now. Uh, this is you know, Justice League International, all that stuff from that time period, which I've not read, I've heard good things. But uh, he's excited because he's actually making money now from being Animal Man, and... Ellen's kind of like, you know, you don't really have your powers right now. Maybe you should tell them that. <laughs> Maybe this is something that's going to be an issue. <laughs> and, you know, this issue ends up, you know, in a conflict with Mirror Master who shows up in the mirror when he goes to, like, you know, wash his face or brush his teeth. And he shows up looking like Animal Man at first and comes out the, the mirror and 
and so begins the the chaotic issue of just funny mirror action is what i'm going to call it so i had this weird moment in this issue where i i, I sort of had a thought to myself i went you know that scottish dialogue for mirror master is better than it usually is and i went oh that's why because <laughs> it's grant morrison <laughs> Who for Grant Morrison is very Scottish. Yeah, for those who don't know, he's Scottish. In fact, so Scottish, in fact, there's a couple of Scottish slang things in this that I don't even get because it's just before my time. Because he's also older than I am. Uh, so- just uh, just for the record, we're going to further, uh, I've been informed in the last uh, week or so, uh, Grant Morrison came out as uh, non-binary uh, not that long ago. So, they, not he. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, as, you know what, I've known him. See, I just did it there. I've known them for so long that it's going to take a little bit of getting used to that. But, yep. um, fair. So, but yeah, Grant Morrison, Scottish. And some of the stuff that is said in here, even I am like, oh, this is before my time. I don't even know what that slang means. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you, get it, you get it from context. But, like, it's one of the funny things where I can imagine, like, some of the listeners being like, oh, I'll ask Peter what this phrase means. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Right? There's I don't, a lot you don't know, though, let's be honest. Some things don't stick around or uh, are, are, are very regional kind of thing. Not that Grant Morrison's yeah. from a completely different region from I am, really, but still. Uh, like, even minor Different time, though. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, very different time. Very different. So, But there are some phrases in there, you know, Pure Dead Brilliant pops up, which is notable because that was one that was, mis- was used wrongly by... Oh, who was it? It was a... Uh, Oh, who, who who is Tim Seeley? It was Tim Seeley, I think, who who's to put in poor damn brilliant instead of pure dead brilliant. That was like oh yes, I do remember that way back in that rebirth. Was, that was a similar uh, issue where I was complaining about something to do with whiskey. Ah, the E, not the E. Uh, yeah. So it's just a minor thing, but I was like, this some of the Scottish dialogue is better than normal. Oh yeah, of course, it's best Scottish writer. What, what, what am I expecting? Uh, but it did occur to me then that I thought, oh, you know, I don't think I've actually read a Scottish writer writing Scottish Mirror Master before. This is kind of unique. I'm so, I'm so used to the Scottish characters being written by Americans or whoever, you know, whoever's write, writing them. <laughs> Mark Miller no, never write? He met it, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if he came up in, you know, his Flash run or anything. I, I have no idea. I never read his Flash run, so I, I couldn't. But he may have done, but... Yeah, uh, fair yeah. enough. Um, so, but yeah, so there's a lot of Buddy, like, falling down the stairs in his underwear and Mirror Master just taunting him and doing whatever. Um, so he, uh, he blasts him a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of Buddy, uh, so some fun art here, uh, where when he dives into his bedroom again, he's literally, he's, his knee up so high that it's kind of like, it's almost like he's jumping over a hurdle, uh, and... He's sort of jumping in to get his caution. When I mean, he puts on his Animal Man outfit, because of course that's what he's going to put on, despite the fact that he has no powers. Uh, and he punches Mirror Master, and Mirror Master just shatters. He was a reflection the whole time. Um, but then he keeps sort of popping in and out of the mirrors. There's a whole part. Now, reading slang's annoying. I don't like reading slang, even Scottish slang. I, I think it's stupid when people write in slang. Uh, I, I remember in high school, there was a, a phase where like people wanted to like make their own blogs and websites, but they'd type it entirely in like shorthand like text speak. And it was awful. I hated it. So I would hate it for that. I, I see the appeal for doing it in characters to kind of give them 
different voices. Oh, no, 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 I get that. And I'm not saying it's overdone here, but reading it backwards, because at one point they jump into a mirror universe and the text is all backwards, like, I, I really had to think about it. I'm like, Gran, what are you doing, you bastard? Like, this is That's hard cruel. to... This is hard, like, even though I know some of the slang, it's, it's, it's hard to like, have my brain jump to that when I'm reading something backwards. So, you know, but, you know Ellen comes home, and the joke here, actually, with Buddy Without His Powers is that Ellen ends up actually doing a better job in a lot of ways. <laughs> and there's some fun stuff in the art where, like, Mirror Master's upside down for portions and all the rest of it, but, but Ellen comes in and just kicks him in the nads, uh, <laughs> as you do. Um... And it gets a little dark because Burmaster is so, in so, so much pain. Uh, he calls her a vicious wee slag and backhands her across the face. And, and I think it's important to hear that, that she gets a, a chance to get her own comeback here because she like kicks him down the stairs almost Sparta style. And then Buddy comes over and says, did you hit my wife? And then like throws him out of the house. Uh, and... Mirror Master gets away by using like a, a mirror amulet thing to basically turn Buddy into a mirror image so that whoever he comes into contact with, he becomes. So, he, so Mirror Master like, you know, jumps away through a mirror and Buddy, like when Ellen comes to like sort of grab him, he becomes a doppelganger of her. And then when he runs away as her, he runs into a jogger and then becomes the jogger. And... Ellen, again, being the one, the mastermind of this operation, realizes that all she has to do is smash the, the, the mirror amulet thing that was left behind, and that fixes it. And there, <laughs> there it is. That was a conveniently easy fix, wasn't it? Very easy thing, and there's just a joke about, oh, that might mean seven years bad luck. So, this is a very quick one to talk about, because it really is Mirror Master and Buddy and his underwear, like, just having antics through the house of like popping out of mirrors, being upside down, being you know diving into the mirror world, is it's just mostly hijink stuff, and it's kind of fun. Like it was a fun read. It was a very quick. It sounds read. fun. Yeah, I mean I've read it before. I'm sure it was fun. I don't remember yeah. disliking it. It's just so funny though because the last couple of issues have been like so heady and like really been like okay, what's 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 the the don't the worry, Grant Morrison head canon saying about this? Like what's good? <laughs> like, and but yeah, so Mirror Master goes to whoever he worked for. Uh, basically, repre- you know, he was there on behalf. Like, someone's not a fan of what Anawan's been doing recently, and he's just—he's just a hired gun. He just wants payment for it. But so you know, some shadowy figures uh, say, "God bless America," as they dismiss him. So somewhat, someone shady high up in the U.S. has like hired McCulloch to do this. Interesting. And then there's an epilogue too, which is seemingly teasing, uh, maybe the villain or something to that effect. Uh, talks about how the eagle uh, has bloody talons and it's kind of his spirit animal, his totem animal, and kind of references the Einstein quote a little bit by the end. Um, you know, why am I suddenly here? I don't remember driving or walking to this place. Um, or could it be true after all that Einstein was wrong? Um, so it's, it's kind of yeah. So it's kind of talking about how uh, like the mystery of who he is, like. He's just appeared. He has no memory of how he got here, but he's There's maybe a link as well with the previous epilogue, given that you know the eagle is a true, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a U.S. symbol, right? And it's literally it's, you know, it's, it's the you know it's the the thing you see in the Pentagon. It's the eagle with the shield and you know yeah. that symbol. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. And then the final page is the computer again with the response to the the initial quote, which is he doesn't, but I do. Uh, so 
someone has and you know obviously it's animal man we're dealing with here so so the villain being tied to a specific animal is a good touch for you know symbolism and making it kind of a uh, more of a, a a poignant fight you know symbolic fight between animal man and like a, someone who represents a, a specific animal mm-hmm. uh you know there's a lot of things to do there um and the way the character's drawn he's just a generic looking dude for the most part but he's, he's got like a bit of a stern jaw he, he just he feels kind of intimidating in, in a lot of ways so a lot of interesting teases at the end and obviously the the mirror master stuff does hint at a larger body at work here but for the most part the issue is a fun hijinks issue with uh buddy being a bit of a klutz and i wonder if part of that is just because okay well he has no powers we're just going to have some fun uh with it and then you know we'll get back to him because because maybe like whatever he wants buddy to actually do next will require powers so yeah but hey yeah. as far as far as like, still being able to advance the plot and tease what's going, Morrison clearly knew what he was doing here. Sorry. Clearly knew what, uh... They were doing. Yeah, it's because I have to change the next word as well. That it's, it's thrown me off. Yeah. They were doing, not they was doing. Um... But yeah. Nah, cool. There you go. Uh, Alman issue 8. Uh, solid. De- definitely not the best. And the last two were such prominent issues that felt like they really changed things but you know they really challenged your thoughts and really made you think about what it was saying whether it was a suicidal uh, character from last issue or all the weird meta stuff with the roadrunner before this by comparison was like oh it was a fun romp <laughs> with some good teases but that's more, nice a bit more conventional but, 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 i mean admittedly and reading them back to back i mean not that i have because i'm sp- spreading them out monthly but I think it does offer a nice break in the pace where you can just enjoy something a little bit as a fun thing and then get back into the the more, like, wacky... I have to assume that was the plan, even yeah. as it was published monthly, is let's take a breather. So, yeah. Well, I'm still happy to give, like, a, a nice solid 7.5, I think. But pro- probably one of the lesser issues just because of the, the nature of what it is. So... That's fair. There you go. Uh... All right, that'll take us out the part of the show where we pick our panel slash moment of the week, favorite art, favorite cover, and rank the uh, top five books. Uh, if we did indeed read five books, so uh, first up, panel slash moment, what you got? Ah, oh, easy. The uh, the reveal of the world woes in in Swamp Thing. That full page, oof, gorgeous. Hard to argue with that. There's a few good things in there, of course. I'm actually going to go with the exploding uh, power battery. Uh, the main power battery exploding. It was such a shock. There was just this two-page spread that just felt like devastation. That you know, when when when, I, when, when Kelly said, "What's wrong with the power battery or the big?" She didn't even say call it that. She just because it's the big battery because she's not. She doesn't know what things are called yet. And you, you turn the page. I was expecting ah, maybe there'll be like a weird color distortion or something like that. The, the, a mystery for them to solve or whatever. I wasn't expecting. Oh no, it's just it's gone, and it's like a nuclear bomb going off. I did not expect that. So. I'll give that as a kind of shock of the week uh, territory. Uh, cover of the week, um, having a quick look while you were talking about uh, Harley, um, I think I have to go with one of the Batman covers here. Uh, it's the variant by Carla Cohen. It is uh, Miracle Molly in an ultra sort of realistic painted style, which almost looks like it could be the cover for Cyberpunk 2077. That's, yeah, that's... I, I don't think I like it. No, it's, it's it's a little bit uncanny valley for me. There's just something. Oh, that's what I like about those. It. Like she's staring at it in my soul. I get it. It's only <laughs> only it works for me. 
Yeah, that's, that's my pick. I know, uh, just for the record, Matt's picking the, the Swamp Thing cover. He told me to say this, even though he's not read the issue yet. He's like, that's my cover. He's very adamant about it. What are you picking? You mean the one with two Ivies on the front? I'm shocked. I know, I know. Who could have guessed it? Yeah. Um, I haven't done it well, so I'm going to pick the Matina cover. Uh, the variant for Batman's second son. Oh, that's okay. a really nice uh, variant. You know, just, just nice. Can't, can't argue... Uh, so, art of the week, though, what are you giving to? Swamp Thing. Yeah, Swamp Thing. Yeah. I, I thought about Jimenez briefly. Yeah, Jimenez does a great job, but. Yeah, Swamp Thing. All right, rank your top five uh, Swamp Thing, Man Bat, Batman. There we go. All right, um, I'm going to go with... Oh, yeah, Swamp Thing's number one. I'm going to pick Green Lantern at number two. Batman at three. Next Batman at four. And Man Bat at five. Aye. There you go. That's everything. I'm just, I, I, I was just questioning if I, if I had forgotten something. Did I forget? Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, do, I do plan on catching up on those other books, by the way. Okay, okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see next month if, if Cara's there to talk about Green Lantern. It, look, I can't make any promises, but it, it turned out I missed this week last month, essentially. Uh, so I had two issues of Swamp Thing to read. I had two issues of Manpad to read. Uh, on to- I, you know, I read the first issue of Green Lantern all today as well, uh, on top of the, everything I did talk about. So, had a lot. Oh, well, I will tell you what's coming next week uh, from DC Comics, uh, which is most almost certainly uh, just a Peter and Matt episode, bizarrely. So <laughs> alternating hosts right now. Uh, hopefully we'll have a, a trio episode soon, but... Uh, at, at, at least we got the special out. It makes a little bit uh, weird schedule-wise, seemingly. Uh, Matt's got lots of things planned this month, and uh, so we'll see. But hey, uh, so next week we have Wonder Woman 772, so uh, Matt will be going solo on that one, because I ain't reading that. Uh, we have Superman 31, uh, Joker issue 3 is out, Rorschach issue 8 is out. I'm glad Matt's here for that week, actually, so uh, that, that's worked out. Mm. I think Rorschach really benefits from both of us being able to dive into it. Uh, Batman the Detective issue 2 is out, uh, Taylor's next issue of that, so that's cool. Batman Urban Legends issue 3 is out, we have Future State Gotham issue 1. So that's an interesting new thing kicking off. Uh, Justice League Lash Raid issue one is out. That's the Zdarsky I assumed was digital first, but I, think, it, I it, guess it's moved. It was originally. This was on one that changed. So, uh, and it's one thing like you know try and ignore it, but it's Zdarsky, so you don't want to read it. Yeah, I'm reading that. So it's happening. Uh, Challenge of the Super Sons issue two is out. American Vampire 1976 issue eight. The Dreaming Waking Hours issue ten. Uh, DC Festival of Heroes Asian Superhero Celebration issue one, that big one shot, um, which is out in a very frustrating week because it's actually a, a much busier week than we've had recently, including Urban Legend, which is a, like a, you know, 60, 70, 80 page book. So um, I think me and Matt already spoke about it and said that we might go back and read it in a later week if because it may actually be, especially since I think we have to record early next week again. So yeah, it's a full hundred page issue that. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where it really isn't the week for it where we have time to do it, but we feel bad for not reading given what it is. 
So I think we're going to try and fit it in like, like a, a week later or something like that. Um, so admittedly, if I bring that up to Matt again, he might be like, oh, but next week's busy as well. What, what are we doing? But um, I think we're going to make a conscious effort. But yeah, because I think me and Matt have to record on Friday next week. Uh, and there is actually more books than there have been just because we got that new couple hidden. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But that's what's coming next week from DC Comics. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers. So thank you once again to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Not Stanley, Stanley. Uh, you can thank Matt for that joke because he misheard me the first time I said it and insisted that I was saying Stanley. Um, so that is a thank you to all of you. Uh, they, of course, uh, are, are the producer tier or above on patreon.com slash TV. but you can support us over there for as little as $1 per month and help keep all the content coming. At the $5 tier in particular, you get early access to the show by a day, so please do go have a look and see if you're interested in helping the show out. You can, of course, support us uh, without spending a penny, though, by simply liking and subscribing and commenting on YouTube, or rating the podcast five stars and giving us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. All those things do help. And, of course, share us out. You can get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast. Um, and you know 250 plus episodes later I'm still shocked we got that Twitter handle it was just amazing that that was available but uh, so check out that um, but uh, yeah that's pretty much it that is the show um, so uh, I was hoping this one would be a bit shorter than this but I am going to go play Resident Evil 8 uh, so thank you very much for joining us we will see you next time keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force